welcome to episode 202 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man who, at this juncture in time, I'm not sure if he is wearing a pant or if he is wearing a short, but he is over in the East Bay, and he goes by the name of Randy Michaelstad. That's me. It's uh, it's pants today, unfortunately. Randy, it's a it's a warm Sunday today. Oh, it's a scorcher, baby. And you're panting it up. Yeah, it was cold. Not cold, but I was in uh, wasn't feeling shorts this morning. But you know, we've been sitting here doing this podcast for about four hours now, so it's, it's getting warm. Now, Randy, let me ask you this, and again, if. If this is too personal, I understand. Also, you uh, you have final cut of the show. <laughs> but when you when you go to bed, when you go to lay your little head on your little pillow, are do you are you just boxer? Are you a boxer man, or do you have a sleeping pant? No sleeping pant, just underwear. Just the underwears. That's it. Yeah, and I usually got one to two fans on and my win- window open. See, I gotta go with the window, but I, I close the I close the uh, curtains, so it, it does. Oh yeah, sort of I do that too. It sort of governs the airflow. Yet there still is some that comes in, but the big thing is that the sunlight, because the sun's gonna pop up at what five forty-five every morning. <laughs> yeah, I made that mistake last night. I left my curtain open, and I was wide awake at about six ten this morning. Oh, way to do it to do it and it's horrible i was i told oksana this earlier this week where the sun will come in i had this one uh, earlier this week uh, the sun came in through one tiny crease where i had not overlapped my curtains together and it went right into my closet which is a mirror and then went right into my face and i was nearly blinded i thought that <laughs> jesus was coming to take me back home <laughs> That's how angelic it looked, but then I realized that it was burning my retinas. Um, so I had uh, I rearranged my curtain situation so that I did not have that religious experience yet. <laughs> Joining us in the intro, like she always does, like clockwork, it's Oksana Valeriana Venema Osachi. <laughs> I think you've just given up at this point. That's correct. Osachi, how are we doing today? Um too hot it's pretty warm it's it's gross just here like i left the house for a little while and as soon as you get down the hill a little bit it's like it's it feels like a 10 degree difference what's going on? heat rises sister i hate, I hate it, it. <laughs> all right well uh what i don't hate is this week's interview <laughs> uh if you remember god how long ago was chattanooga film fest two months ago now Oh, month last, and a half. That was last month. I could be wrong. All was it? May? Yeah. Time is melting. It had to have been in May. It was in May. I, I think it was June. It was definitely not June. It was earlier this year. It was. It was at <laughs> least two months ago. Anyway, uh, we spent um, a, a lot of time talking about the Chattanooga Film Fest um, when we uh, took part in that, the online film festival. So. Uh, we were thrilled when we were able to get uh, the programmer uh, Chris Dorch on board, and uh, that's who we've got uh, for you this week uh, to talk about how the Chattanooga Film Fest um, was really sort of able to pivot into going to an online um, 
festival this year where they had previously not and the challenges of doing so uh, from a security standpoint and uh, able to protect the filmmakers because uh, that, that's ultimately what, what Chris is in it for and, and that's, uh, you know, we are aligned in that and that, you know, we, we've got our own thing going and, uh, you know, Chris is fighting the good fight over there in, in Tennessee. So uh, it was uh, an absolute treat to talk to Chris and, and understand um, and just really relate to another uh, person who understands the uh, both the the rewards and the pain of, of hosting a, a film festival. And uh, so it's, it's a bit of an interesting, a bit of a different episode that we've got for you this week. But look, that's what we're doing in the 200s, baby. You don't know what we got for you. Last week, we literally had a serial killer on, and this week we got a film <laughs> director. You don't know which direction you're going in the 200s in the Overlook Hour. Do you understand? Do you know what I'm telling you right now? Yeah. You know what? The first 199, that was all a ruse. We're in the real shit now, baby. So strap in, zip it up, and lock it down. The 200s are here. Osachi. Oh boy. <laughs> Oksana, we are still in quarantine. So people need to know what to do. And that is where you come in. Oh <laughs> are you already thinking about the bit? Drop the bit. I'm going to drop the bit. God, <laughs> I could already it. tell. Randy, I, I had written her a bit today. You and she <laughs> has done nothing. Did but not write do over the bit. I wrote the bit. I was like, "Say that," I mean, you're like, and then I, you've been you've been worried about it for four hours now, haven't you? No. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, tell what what you got written down in your little piece of paper. <laughs> I'm not good at bits, but <laughs> clearly, um, I'm not Russell. All right, I haven't been doing this for 200 episodes with you. Russell's not good at bits either. He's <laughs> shit at bits. <laughs> Um, so I neglected to mention that as of July 7th, Skyman is available on VOD. Yes. Why didn't I mention the Skyman? (laughs) Um, I haven't opened my planner since it's, it's got like nothing but cobwebs in it, but I had that written down. And so Skyman is now available on VOD. Also available as of July 9th, um, the Beach House, which played at Chattanooga Film Festival. It's available on Shudder. Unearthed is doing a 30-day pre-order of uh, House of Flesh Mannequins. Randy. (laughs) It's from the director of Red Crocodile. Crocodile. Oh, yeah, Red Crocodile. And Doll Syndrome. He also worked as a... He did director and producer of Deep Web XXX. Which... (laughs) I will refrain from further commentary. Part of which screened at a... Yes, it did. So House of Flesh Mannequins is about an artist with a history of abuse who meets a beautiful woman. She becomes interested in his work, and that leads to a chilling path of tragedy. Okay. (laughs) He's got a lot of... Oh, boy. Looking through his uh, IMDb, he's got a lot of sex and uh, abuse themes in all of his movies. It seems like I haven't seen that many of them, but... Um, so that's a 30-day pre-order, and then it's gone. If you pre-order through Unearth, well, I mean, you can only pre-order through Unearth. You'll get an 11 by 17 poster. 
Look at those dimensions. Then the Roxy Theater is adding, or they added, We Are Little Zombies to their virtual screening room. Which Randy talks about in this very episode. Oh, well then. Oh, yeah. Should I not even read the synopsis? No, you should. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, it's about four orphans. I, I don't know what the hell to make of this movie for the synopsis. Four orphans first meet as their parents' bodies are becoming are being turned into dust, but none of them shed a tear. Then they decide they must um, salvage some materials to make musical instruments, start a band, and conquer the world. Yeah, it's great. It's a drama. It's from Oscilloscope, and it's two hours long. Was that a good, was that a long runtime? You'll find out when you listen to this episode. <laughs> Russell doesn't tell me anything until the episode's there. Because he doesn't pay attention. <laughs> For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those at podcast at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not even my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hour is available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Twitter as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Randy. So I forgot to uh, shout out Jasadi, but I finally watched The Ascent, which he recommended to me on this program, and it was good. Well, which one was The Ascent? Uh, it's some black and white movie that's on Criterion Channel about World War II. <laughs> Snoozeroonie! <laughs> That's pretty good, though. You like that? Yeah, I dug it. All right. Well, I dugged episode 202. And I Me hope too. that dugged. you would, too. Oksana, we power through my mumble mouth. <laughs> Sometimes. All right. Four. Three. Randy, Stat, Russell Fisher. I'm Clark Little. Until episode 203. Have fun, lollipops. creative person, Russell. I thrive in chaos. Yes, I could be a little bit more uh, a little. organized. However, I do clean from time to time. I'm not just this unkept feral roommate, am I? No. no. Thank you. But, you know, I'm just coming as an advocate for a pro-Randy life, and I'd love to see Randy come back into our little country here. And when I enter the room and I see uh, tissues that are used on the floor and on the table next to three empty cups and, uh, <laughs> a, like, a weird assortment of things that you've used. but This like, is discarded, my workspace. I just, I try to put myself in that of the Randy populace, and I just imagine him turning around. You get that door slamming thing where and then you hear the car rev up and drive away like peel off that's what i should i wish i had that sound bite <laughs> movie shit like simpsons like yeah. Doo, 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 doo. yeah and you know i just i don't see randy coming back randy how clean is your room 
it's pretty clean right now. I uh, I did some cleaning before the podcast. I do have a lot of uh, movies and stuff out right now, considering Criterion Collection is currently 50% off on Barnes & Nobles. Now, Not a sponsor. <laughs> now, did you, did you actually go and procure this in person at a Barnes & Noble, or was this an online purchase? I actually went into a store, which I was oh. surprised they were even open. They are. But, uh... I visited my parents this weekend, and I went to the one in uh, Dublin, California, and I went in there and grabbed about seven movies in like 10, 15 minutes, and I oh, checked wow. out, and is the sale going on? one of them. So I think it's you, all month. You dropped about 140? Yeah, it was like 155, I think. <sighs> Russ, that. can we go today? Look at that quick math in my mind. I don't know if you realize, but there's a fucking pandemic out there, and I am not the kind of soul okay, that is willing to risk my- <laughs> <laughs> He just went. And Randy wouldn't Randy- hug his damn mom, and he went. Randy, so. was, Randy was the rare canary in the coal mine for the first time. Ooh, good song. What? The, the police. <laughs> Yeah, there's, you know how many can you refund mine songs are? <laughs> dude, 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 yeah, please, someone defund Sting, and I am down 100% to defund that piece of shit dude. rock reggae band, The Police. That's a better shirt than uh, the oh, NWA one, the dude, Fuck the Police. Uh-huh, yeah, dude, de- <laughs> defund the police, please. That will be a first podcast shirt. I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll tell Kyle. Let's get okay, going. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> he can put Randy's face over Sting's body. Oh, no, attack. <laughs> yes, that's our brand. Okay, it, here's a little inside baseball for all you uh, podcast fans out there. Um, I know nobody gets the art that I do every week. I think you'd have to go on Podbean and look at their weird blog page to see the literal post, I'm air quoting, where... Um, all the original art I make goes, oh, you know, I put it on Instagram. Anyway, for the 200th episode, I did the bicentennial. Uh, what the, the Bitanic. Bitanic. Yeah, the Bitanic. Yeah. And me and Clark had a long conversation about how I should have photoshopped our faces on the people. But thinking back to the bit when it came up and we were talking about it, we were remarking on how weird they looked and strange. Yeah. So I was in a weird, is it hacky to put our faces on there? And then Clark gave me a speech about hack is where the money's at, man. And we got to sell out. And <laughs> hack is our brand. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> the brand hack. Oh, and again, I've been meaning to bring this up for four weeks now. Podbean is the only place you can find episodes 107 to zero. I don't know why, but all the other podcatchers don't have anything prior to Kyle Hilton's interview, which honestly I think would help us (laughs) hiding those. But a lot of those interviews have uh, a lot of those episodes have interviews that I think are worth checking out. It's a completely different show. Yeah. And like, I, I would be, I haven't listened to those other episodes in a while. And you used to a lot. I used to, but I it got it. The show's changed. I mean, literally we were like cutting our teeth. Like we had, we kind of just showed up and didn't know what the fuck we were no. doing. Uh, we still don't. I However, know. we're more comfortable with that. Well, at least we have like a uniform. Like we show up and it's like, okay, here's what we're doing. It's going to be what it's going to be. But dude, I remember those early episodes. Like we'd sit down and in my head, I'm just like, what are we doing right now? 
I'm like, what are we talking about? Well, I, I, my, my mentality has always been pretty much the same. You have grown mm-hmm. night and day. Well, I've listened to more podcasts, and too. That, and it's it, yeah. just, yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I was coming in from a standpoint of, uh, you know, I understood. From a stand-up point. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, of, of understanding, you know, creativity <laughs> on that end of it. And that you just got to go for it. And that failure uh, is part of the thing. Yeah, you know. I'd- and we were going to work our way through it. and But. The skeleton has always been there, and the skeleton will always remain. That's why a skeleton is the fucking <laughs> banner of the show, um, is that, you know, it's it's always going to be interview-focused, and uh, we're always going to shine a light on independent film. Yeah, my fear was always just that we're dragging our guests down with us. But, you know, honestly, I think uh, we can only elevate <laughs> even the worst well, of souls. Our, our self-deprecating nature uh, plays into our uh, adorable charm, yeah. baby. So, yeah, if you want to check out those very rough (laughs) episodes, just do yourself a favor. Skip like 45 minutes in. Yeah. Listen to the interview, which, yeah, a lot of them are still pretty valuable. Um, Also, I wanted to bring back uh, our long forgotten uh, segment of female bag as uh, since people don't want to email. I'm just going to start using the fucking text you send me because I get a bunch of text (laughs) from people talking about the show. And, you know. It's interesting shit. I just wanted to point out that on episode 200, when we had Jasadi here, and he was probably nine, ten beers deep. Yeah, he uh, told a story about uh, was it a coworker or just a friend? A coworker. It was a coworker who gave him the um, sage advice of if you're falling asleep while driving, just start beating it. <laughs> and um, I got a text. A driving jerk. From Alnonymous, so I won't put you out like that, even though I'm sure you wouldn't care, that uh, he too received the same advice from a student friend who said, dude, if you're falling asleep in the car, just start beating it. So I, has anybody actually tried this? <laughs> reach, I, reach out to female bag. Not when I was asleep, but I was uh, bored. While dr- <laughs> so I jerked it. But you weren't falling asleep. <laughs> no. I, I, it's important. I was falling asleep and nearly died. Uh, me too, but I didn't like think to like start pleasuring yeah, myself. Uh, fortunately, they had those little uh, tractor tire marks on the yeah. side that woke me up yeah. many the times. Road braille, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For all the blind drivers, you know, if you run them over, it actually tells you where you're I'm at. I'm telling you, man i I couldn't account for ten miles of where I had gone. I can't count for ten. Where I was like, I I don't I don't remember passing through that town. Oh, well, if you had to poop, it would have been a different story. <laughs> oh yeah man i mean while we were waiting for our interview today you regaled uh randy with several tales of interstate um diarrhea oh yeah last time i was uh coming back from uh los angeles california i had a breakfast at langer's delicatessen which was uh, number 19 <laughs> which is the pastrami the classic uh said randy what's on a number 19 you got your swiss your pastram russian dressing sauerkraut is that it i think that's it yeah yeah. Now you would think that the sauerkraut would help, uh, as sauerkraut is a natural probiotic and helps with positive gut flora. Ooh. However, it destroyed me, and I had two uh, horrible Toot. bouts you had to go of diarrhea two. 
Um, <laughs> and I was going to go to different breweries. So I took two shits, I think, at both of the Firestone Walker. <laughs> wait, uh, wait, did you tell this story before? Was that returning from Serbian film? Yeah, that was two years oh, ago. Oh, okay. Well, here, female bag again, a longtime listener and a two-time guest, uh, Kaja Ram. I remember he, he texted me after that episode and was just like, dude, do more of that. That was real interesting. And I'm like, what the poop talk? <laughs> Which I think you don't know. I, I, had, I did a, uh, I think I did like a road diary thing, but did you I did. Ever, did I put that? Uh, in? Yeah. I don't know if I- so you were, you were connecting the dots, but the dots were porta potties that you hit up on the way home. <laughs> and I, you- that was it because I, because when I came home, I was going the scenic route. Yeah. Uh, but the only thing that I saw was the floor, the tiled floor of various bathrooms. <laughs> Good title for a blog there. And uh, I was going to go get some split pea soup at Anderson's. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a good spot. <laughs> have, have you been? Uh, it's been probably like over 10 years, but I used to, well, I would go on occasion when our family would go to Fresno to visit family. Yeah, that place is wild. It was super busy. Too. Are you talking about Anderson Cooper's? Anderson Cooper's Poopers Cooper? <laughs> that was <laughs> touche. You win. Thank you. I always win. All right. Well, welcome to the episode. Um, yeah, we got anything else? No, uh, that was only, oh shit, it was only 10 minutes, but it's fine. Um, our guest this week was so cool that we just fucking had a bunch of technical difficulties and didn't give a shit. And I think we, we ran long. Yeah. Cause you don't know when to stop talking. Dude, I didn't, I wrote down like five questions. I was going to keep it trim. That motherfucker is so interesting, and I feel like it's so inside baseball for us that it'll translate fine, but. The interview, dude, I, we should have, we need it for notes. <laughs> that dude knows how to run a film fest. We should learn. You just got to go, man. That's all we got to <laughs> go. Cook, number two. Cook a goo goo fart fest. Hell yeah. You know, it's funny. So when we were, we've had fucking dumb technical problems this whole time. Yep. And um, who was, who was the guest? That I put like, oh, we talked about this earlier. Mickey, when he jumped in the chat, I had made our name a, uh, the three cucks and he was just like "Ooh, that hurt and i i felt the need to, you know it's like no no this is just a dumb bit that That's we homage brother yeah, it's homage so when we were setting up to do our intro we jumped into the thing and i've changed our name to kaka gugu fart fest because we couldn't figure out how to spell chattanooga i think clark's high and i just can't spell unless i'm not having a very hungry <laughs> okay well, you got glasses on. I feel like you're hiding it. Brady, I got brand new sunglasses, and they are dope. You got Warby Parkers, or? Nah, bro. Through an Instagram ad. Oh, my God. Nike sunglasses through Nordstrom Rack. $100 off, baby. $100 uh, off? These were $160 sunglasses. I got them for 60 brother. You know they're worth, like, 10 No, these are good. No, 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 no There's bro. a big, it's a thing, dude. Glasses, it's bro. all branding. Bro, of course. No, but I mean I the product. The ga- you know the game. You're bragging about game. getting. But right. the, Russell, the retail price of these is $160. <laughs> I got them for 60 I win. Oh, Don't take go. that away from me. You're right. I understand they were made for 14 cents. <laughs> That's how the world works. Buy a 14-year-old, too. Anyway, not touching that. When uh, when we were, well, China's in. You got China in your pocket, or you in China's pocket? China, 
Yeah. All right. We talk <laughs> shit about China over here. Anyway. A bit of China. Brother. Not the people. I love Mandarin, Cantonese. I love beautiful people from there. I mean the government. Fuck that government. Anyway, when when, when we were joining this film or uh, are chill. this chat, it looked like Chris popped back in to our Zencast, and then he popped out, and I went, oh, God. Does he think we're just sitting here like, oh, dude, cook a goo-goo fart fest? <laughs> yeah, because you're an idiot. So I instantly, I normally when we're done recording, I email our guest after, and I'm just like, hey, man, thank you. I know we're all fucking schmucks, uh, maybe except for Randy, who's probably going to leave us in two weeks anyway. Randy's a schmuck. <laughs> I got nowhere to go. <laughs> and it's like, I instantly felt the need to email him and just be like, hey, dude, uh, I don't know if you saw anything. Um, anyway, Chris fucking rules. Listen to that interview. And um, yeah, were we segueing into a thing? Yeah, it's time for uh, Randy. Now, Randy, how are you going to kick this off? You going to kick off with the uh, with the bit? Yeah, let's go with that. Okay, all and right. We got a segment ready. It's time for Randy's <laughs> V of the week. <laughs> now, normally it is Randy's what? movie of the week, uh, but this uh, but this is a special edition of Randy's. Oh, oh, I got to do it again? Yeah. Oh, I'm not. Uh, there we go. That of counts. The week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're new at the, we're new at the now, soundboard Randy, game. You got to get me ready. Randy, I, we've known it. How long we've known Randy? Six oh, years? Several years. Home, I think. Yeah, I, I've known him going on six years now. This, six years this month, I think. God, that's a long time a long for such time. a weak relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time. Now, Randy, you and I, we've talked about an infinite number of movies. And we've seen sure. an infinite number of movies together. Yep. I I don't know if I've heard you talk about a movie more than the movie <laughs> that you're about to talk about now. Why is that, Randall? That might be true. I don't know. Uh, maybe just because the name is, is funny. It is true. Uh, the movie is called First Cow, hence the movie of the week. It's Kelly Reichert's new film. Now, uh, for our listeners, is who exactly? Uh, she's made a bunch of very independent movies. She made Meek's Cutoff um, and a bunch of other things that I, I can't think about right now. Wendy and Lucy? Wendy and Lucy, yeah. Um, I think I talked about a couple of her films that were streaming on Criterion like maybe five or six episodes ago. Yeah, you did. Um, but yeah, she's an uh, a independent filmmaker that makes... Um, to me, she makes very like small stories feel kind of big or interesting. Uh, she has a very like atmospheric uh, tone to her films, like between the sound and like the way the camera kind of lingers. Uh, it's kind of like not necessarily slow cinema, but it kind of feels like it has some of that like influence to it. Um, but yeah, this is her new movie, which was supposed to be the last movie I saw before the Bay Area went into full lockdown. I had a ticket for it at Alamo. And um, it was like the last day where there were like no gatherings of more than like 25 people. So I could have still gone, but they were going to like leave seats in between, but I got sketched out. So I just <laughs> refunded my ticket. Fuck yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, very similar to, you know, a lot of her, her style. It's filmed in four by three. Um, it's got like beautiful colors. Um, it takes place in 
like Oregon territory uh, when, you know, that part of the land is um, still kind of like being built up. Uh, and it's about two characters. One, uh, his name is Cookie and the other one's name is King Lou. And uh, they strike up a sort of uh, relationship that, or a friendship that is, um, I, I guess you kind of wouldn't expect it. So the one guy, Cookie, he is with this trapping crew uh, and he is kind of like not well respected by them, uh, but he's kind of just like their cook. So you see him like out foraging for like veggies and like mushrooms and stuff. And he comes across this uh, Chinese immigrant one night when he's out. And um, it seems that this Chinese immigrant who is naked, has no clothes, um, is running from some sort of situation that he got into before. But uh, they strike up this relationship and they're hanging out one night. Um, and Cookie is talking about kind of like his dreams of setting up a hotel and a bakery, but they're both pretty like poor. Um, in this area that they are uh, living. Uh, so they kind of decide, like trying to figure out like what they need to do to kind of, you know, bring themselves up in this society. And um, a cow is brought into this territory um, to the chief factor, who is like the guy running the place. He's played by Toby Jones. Yeah. And um, yeah, Cookie is a, a chef and also a baker. And they decide and that they're going to go to the chief factor's place overnight and steal milk from their cow so they could bake baked goods and bring them to market and start selling them to people. And they bake these oily cakes, which I've never heard of before, but they yeah. look delicious. And um, the first day they go to market, they sell like 10 or something like that. And people are all, all about it. And then the chief factor gets word of these oily cakes and they're like, hey, you got to save one for the chief factory. He's coming down like tomorrow. So he comes down and uh, they sell one, to, sell one to him and he loves them. And um, yeah, it, uh, it, it's about this story of sort of like early capitalism. Uh, it doesn't feel super on the nose. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know. It was a real treat just watching them like kind of scheme this plan to steal milk from this cow every night. And then, like, every night they would kind of, like, up their game, like, steal a little bit more, steal a little bit more so they could bake more and more. I don't know. I just, uh, I, I really enjoyed just watching them kind of pulling this, uh, this milk heist against uh, this uh, rich guy who, who kind of runs the territory and then uh, sort of the, the situation they get into afterwards. Beautiful. I am I'm sold. Now, now, when was this timeline again, Randy? The 1820s? Was this pre-Civil War? Uh, I think so. Yeah, it, it doesn't really say on the letterbox that I'm looking at right now, but yeah, it's it, it's enjoyable. I I dug it a lot. So at this juncture, there are not a lot of cows in the uh, in that area of the country, or even maybe the country Correct. in its entirety. Yeah, you see it arrive on a boat in a very early scene, as uh, cows are not native to the states united. <laughs> yeah, man, that that's rad. I you know. The Western is a genre that doesn't get explored very like widely. And I, 
looking through it, I w- I'll tell you, I'll be honest here. The stills look incredibly beautiful. Clark was like, yeah. hey, man, we got to watch this movie first, Cal. Oh, f- fucking first, Cal. He's like, A24 Western. I went, oh, A24. That, well, I mean, uh, how, how else am I supposed to I know, you know, know, I know. categorize it? But then, you know, I was looking it up and I went, oh, I don't know, this sounds kind of cool. And I was looking at the still images and then y- you you throw it out there. You say it's about the free market. You know what? I'm... I'm excited to watch it. I may. So we're gonna first cow it today. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Oh I'm, yeah. I'm down for that. FC for the and win. You got another one too, right, Randy? Yeah, second one I rented through the Roxy's Digital Cinema. It's called We Are Little Zombies. Uh, director's name, I'll do my best, is Mikado Nagahisha. Home run. Um, so it is a story of these four kids uh, who are all orphans. Um, and they meet um, outside of a uh, a place where they incinerate bodies. So all their parents are dead. A crematorium. Um, a crematorium. Yes. Thank all so my much. friends are dead. All my friends. The uh, the premise, which I will read off Letterboxd, uh, says their parents are dead. They should be sad, but they can't cry. So they form a kick ass band. <laughs> this is the story of four 13 year olds in search of their emotions, and. Uh, yeah, it's a very fun movie. It's kind of an assault on the senses with like the amount of kind of like genre play the camera is doing. And there's a ton of like 8-bit chiptune, poppy, super catchy songs um, that this band creates. Uh, it's cute. It's very goofy at times. It's super dark at times. Um, it's kind of, I would describe it as kind of like a Nintendo f- uh, fever dream. Um, it's a little bit long. It's like, I think just over, no, it's just about two hours. Um, so there's a whole lot in it. Um, I think this is the, the director's first time directing movies. I think he's in music videos and stuff before, but um, it's super fun. The soundtrack uh, is really good. Super catchy. The songs feel um, real in the sense that they're coming from these kids. Like the vocals like aren't perfect, but it works really well for for what they're doing and considering they're like, 14-year-old kids, but yeah, it's super fun. Dude, what a good tagline. Life is like a shit game. <laughs> Dude, yeah, like the very first line in the movie, uh, let's see if I could find it. The very first line in the movie says, today, mommy turned to dust. So did daddy. Dusty as Parmesan on a plate of bolognese. Oh, God. So it's just got this very, like, dry oh, and yeah. uh, <laughs> sense of humor. I don't know. It's, it, it, it's pretty great. It, I could see if you're not really into um, sort of the Fun. way that a lot of... A- yeah. Yeah. Sort of the way that Asian cinema, like, goes very hard from, like, something that is super dark to something that is, like, super funny. Yeah. Um, which has been something in the past that I've kind of struggled with, with certain, like, Asian... Uh, cinema, but I'm kind of more into it now. I could see it not really being for everyone, but I don't know if you like, yeah, 8-bit soundtracks, chiptune, Nintendo stuff. Now, Randy, you're in a few bands. Now, is this some like inside club, like I'm in a band and I understand the struggle of a band kind of thing, or is this going to appeal to the everyday the everyday viewer? It, it'll appear, or yeah, it'll be good for, for the layman as well. It actually takes a while to get to the music stuff, which I was kind of surprised by. Um, kind of wish it got there a little sooner. But no, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, these kids um, kind of form like a sort of poppy, 
kind of punky, very chiptoony band. And uh, yeah, it's not um, it's not really super inside inside baseball for for band stuff. But a a two hour runtime, Randy. Yeah, seems pretty exhausting. <laughs> it can be. I did have a. Uh, I did have a little. Um, the last of my my weed mints before I before I watched it, and I feel like it that that was a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm confused because that poster that I just praised for its um, tagline at the bottom it says from the winner of the short film grand jury prize. Like what? What short film? It's two hours long. I'm fuck you, IMDb. You confused. I don't me. know. Maybe he made a short film before this. Yeah, I don't know. And then turned it into a two-hour. Yeah, because that's what it seems concert. like. Because that's a 2017, and this is just being released now. Hmm. So I would say so. That, uh, that happens, Randy. What what got you to pull the trigger on that movie? Uh, I saw it through like the Roxy email, and I watched the trailer, and I was like, I might hate this movie, <laughs> or it could be good. So I just took a chance, and I ended up enjoying it. Well, that's that's the best. Uh, that's the best time. I know we like, we got to teach Clark how to do that. What, I do it all the time. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I roll the dice. I rolled the dice yesterday, three right. times, baby. What'd they come up? Actually, Snake eyes. I rolled the dice twice because uh, I, I knew where I was going to be on oh, uh, one movie, dude. If I knew you were going to say that, I would have had the the sound bit from that uh, from that comedian you turned me on to. That I can't remember his name now. Bill Burr. Dice. No, Robson Robinson. Robinson? Snake Eyes. Don't you remember? On <laughs> Snake Eyes. Yeah, and his musical You're number. About, you think you should, I think you should leave, guy? Oh, Tim but, Robbins. But Tim Robbins, there you yeah. go. But not I think you should leave the other one. Oh, yeah, the, his, uh, the characters episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lady Luck. <laughs> Randy, did you see that one? Uh, I, I did, but I don't necessarily remember all of them. Uh, yeah, okay, so go back to uh, Netflix's special. They did the characters. I think Lauren Lapkus did one. Henry Zabrowski did one. Uh, and Tim Robbins did one. And it was his first sketch he did. And huh. it was like a uh, a Vegas lounge singer. <laughs> and it's one of the best things he's ever done. It's great. Nice. Yeah, and yeah, I'll pull that. Lady, I'll try. I gotta figure out how to do it. I don't know. I wish Randy was here so we can make him do those fun things. All right. <laughs> little zombies. Yeah, I, sh- I, I should give this a go. You just like the idea of uh, getting high and then talking shit on a movie Randy likes. <laughs> Can I eat as long as I have? I'm very hungry. All right. Are we jumping into this All one right, next? Randy, yeah. you got anything else for me, Bab? Nope. All right. Well, I'll briefly talk about a movie that you talked about, geez, probably a month ago. Um, from Quentin Duplay. I, I can't. I don't want Is that how Depew? you say it? Something Depew? like that. Depew. That's much better than Duplay. Peppy Depew. Peppy Depew. Peppy LaPew, you fucking idiot. No, but his name is Depew. By the way, have you seen where um, HBO go? They, they, they've got new Looney Tunes now? Oh, yeah. We don't need to talk about That's some morning radio shit right there. What are you talking about? Where they de-gunned uh, Yosemite Sam. Is that what they did? Yeah. He, he only has, he has pointy fingers now. No way. Yeah. I mean, what's the fucking point, dude? I didn't know. I, I had no idea. I was just, um, Elmer Fudd, too. They took his gun away. Not to get... Not to get su- super off topic from Clark's movie, but uh, with all this like pulling stuff from streaming s- sites, I'm surprised nobody's been talking about It's Always Sunny. Oh, why? What happened? Just because they have so much insane shit in that show that is not 
very politically correct, but I guess the joke, you know, is that all the yeah. characters in the show are terrible people. Yeah. But it's just it's just surprising to me that nobody is pointing a finger or anything at at that show. Well, I mean, that's the way shit goes. Like it's uh, it's usually more than just being like lowbrow or crass. It's usually people just don't like you for a number of other reasons too. Yeah. Where yeah. if everybody kind of feels like they're in on the joke, it's fine. Well, now Elmer Fudd looks like he's the Grim Reaper. I, dude, it looks <laughs> way more threatening with it, the, with the scythe. Way more, dude. It's crazy. Uh, just Google uh, Elmer Fudd. I put in degunned. I think I put gummed. I put degummed. Degummed. <laughs> <laughs> so Elmer Fudd on meth. Yeah. And then yeah, Yosemite Sam. I don't. Yeah. All right. So I saw Deerskin finally. Uh, man, oh man, what what a wonderfully weird film. Now, again, of course, you expect that uh, from Mister uh, Depew, um, Peppy Depew. But Randy, you are right. This is this is probably his most accessible film, being that it's not. He's not, and I, I'm coming from a place where I I am a fan of this filmmaker and I appreciate his point of view. But he, he's not browbeating you with cuteness. And I think sometimes that has been the case in his previous work, like with Rubber. And uh, Rubber is a film that I will always defend. Uh, but I understand the uh, backlash that has gotten in, in some aspects. And also with Wrong, which I enjoyed. And I, I, don't, I have not seen Wrong Cops. Uh, but uh, In Deerskin is a very straightforward narrative. Where we've got um, a gentleman, and th- this is uh, also—is this his first full French film? Because I, I think all the other ones have uh, English. Oh, I think and so. Yeah, this is his first uh, feature that I've seen that was uh, uh, French all the way through, and I appreciated that. Uh, Jean Desjardins, is that how you say his name, Randy? Yeah, I think that's close enough. Um, who is an Academy Award winner from The Artist, who won Best Actor. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is his best performance he's ever done. This movie does not work. I don't think... It doesn't, it doesn't succeed to the levels of which it did without his performance and how straight and genuine he played this <laughs> as a guy who nothing has worked out in his life. He gets this deerskin jacket and it changes his life. He talks to this jacket and the jacket becomes um, his ultimate obsession. And he also got a, a, a what was that? A DV camera, essentially. <laughs> yeah. uh, any camcorder. And he starts to make this impromptu movie. And he finds this bar tender who says oh i i do editing he's like great i needed an editor and they start making this movie together and then um you know uh, the stakes start to raise and uh, essentially he starts telling everyone that uh this deerskin jacket will be the only jacket in the universe and everyone he can find <laughs> he takes their jackets away from them as this deerskin jacket will be the only jacket on the earth and uh it's an hour and 17 minutes the score, I love the score in this. Um, it's beautiful film. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Weird, quirky, wacky. Uh, some good gore there um, at the end as well, uh, where yeah. it, it, it sort of um, it goes into that territory towards the end of the yeah, film. It becomes a little slashery. And, but I tell you what, with the ending, it, it's right back of 
it it ended the only way that it could have uh, with that storyline uh, tying together. And the funniest moment of the movie when he threw that rock at that kid. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and how that uh, worked itself out. Uh, fantastic movie, Russ. I think you would enjoy Deer. Take off your pants and Deer jacket. He also did get uh, Deer skin pants as well. That was a big part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it sounds hot. But yeah, man, how good was he in this? I uh, man, it, just as straight as he played it, just incredible. Yeah, it took me a while to realize it was him. Yeah, it's great movie. All right. Well, Randy, since uh, not Randy, what's your name, Russell? Since you queued this up, I'll briefly mention, um, I was looking around trying to find something to watch yesterday, and I found uh, Bad Education. I saw it was streaming. It was an HBO original movie. Now, that can go several different ways. (laughs) I think the HBO does a great, I think they have a great documentary program. Um, And uh, and one of their uh, thoroughbreds in their stable is Aaron Lee Carr who I've tried to convince Russell that we try to get on the show eventually maybe one day we will it might happen uh, but uh, as far as their narrative uh, features go sometimes they tend to be a little formulaic <laughs> and meaning that this feels like an HBO movie this did not feel that and that's why I'm, I'm starting to wonder What's going on with HBO films? Are they, are they now? Was this an HBO Max? Randy, do you know anything about it? If, if this was an HBO Max thing or when did this come out? I think it was pre HBO Max. Okay. Because it, it does feel like that maybe they're, they're starting to put um, a little bit a different focus on their feature works and maybe not include Barry Levinson in every HBO movie that they do and they don't have to do some sort of, uh, Jerry Sandusky or uh, whatever the hell they do. From time to time. <laughs> uh, I, so Bad Education stars Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney um, as a superintendent and deputy superintendent of a school district uh, on Long Island. And this was, I think, 2002. And this is the largest um, embezzlement of public funds in the school system in the history of the United States, where they stole $11 million from the school budget over a period of time and how this, uh, this story unfolded. Uh, now they, from what I understand with the real story, they took a lot of liberties, uh, which fine, whatever. But the director of this, Corey Finley, uh, directed a movie called Thoroughbreds, which I came, when did that come out? 2017, 2018? When was Thoroughbred? 2017. And I quite enjoyed Thoroughbreds. And it makes sense that uh, Bad Education is, is, is sort of in the same line of Thoroughbreds, dealing with um, sort of a, a culture class war and dealing with, uh, you know, um, suburbs and trying to fit in and understanding that uh, the, the housing market is a direct correlation with the school system and how much pressure this superintendent has on his shoulders and how he's trying to portray a certain thing. And a lot of it has to do with the skywalk that they're building. And, uh, but the, the, the great thing about how this story broke is that the corruption was founded by a junior in high school writing for her school paper. And she broke the story. Oh, that's right. And then the yeah. New York Times and everyone picked up on it. So that was really a, um, th- the best part of the story is that, you know, this child 
broke this story and how it tied together with her dad. And um, this is this is a very good film. I, I thoroughly enjoyed Bad Education. And if you have HBO, it's worth checking out. And the last movie that I saw yesterday, a uh, bit of a bummer, this one, <laughs> uh, from writer-director Kitty Green. Uh, Russ, click on her. I, I don't know uh, what we have seen from her before. I don't know if this is her. Uh, yep, looks like this. Casting Cass- John Bonet. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah we, we talked about it on John here. Bonet. I didn't know that she did. Okay, perfect. Yeah, Casting John Bonet was great. I mean, have you ever seen Ukraine is not a brothel, though? No, but I, I know. that's part. <laughs> oh, she did one on uh, Oksana Bayou. Anyway, casting about John Bonet. That was one of the first movies we talked about on this show. Great documentary. No, I don't know about that. It was early. It was super early on. Look at twenty seven. Probably like a hundred episodes ago for sure. Oh, no, yeah, no, no. It was probably early. I would say before episode forty. You're right. Anyway, <laughs> we were founded on casting John. Yeah. Bidet. Casting John Bonet. <laughs> but. Uh, the Assistant is the film uh, that she wrote and directed that came out, I believe, a few weeks ago, uh, starring the, one of the stars of Ozark, Julia Garner, who plays a um, recent college graduate who gets a uh, very uh, sought-after job for a production company in New York City. Uh, she wants to be a producer in film, and she was able to get this job uh, working for a, a very powerful uh, movie executive who we only hear, we never see. Oh, cool. And yeah. um, this this film takes place, uh, it's 90 minutes long, but it is one day in the life of this uh, employee. And she shows, she's the first one to arrive. She's the last one to leave. And even though this movie is just under 90 minutes, we feel this 12-hour workday. Uh, with this poor girl and everything that she's going through and how hard she's working. And then the amount of abuse that she gets uh, from this executive who is, who says that he's got his eye on her and he's, he's only tough on her because he knows how good she is. And he said, you're good. I'm going to make you great. And that is his excuse to be a complete fucking asshole. So, and uh, basically her job is to lie to his wife about his whereabouts and this and that and the other. Uh, but there is a new employee that arrives, and it is a young girl from Idaho, from Boise, Idaho, and she is a waitress. And she just got uh, hired on as um, a, a junior assistant as well. And she has no work experience, but she is pretty. And it is very clear that uh, she is going to sleep her way up to the ladder. And we follow this journey of uh, this girl, uh, Julia Garner's character, Jane, uh, trying to understand what this new girl is, and then if you know, there's some inappropriate things that are happening. And the best part of the film takes place in an HR, uh, the, the lead of HR's office, um, where we essentially see, hey, you're new here. This is the lay of the land. This is how this works. If you want to file this complaint, Great, but I can't guarantee you're going to be here because <laughs> this is how this works, sweetheart. And also, don't worry, you're not his type. Oh, God. <laughs> and yeah, that guy steals the movie. Um, he's from uh, Succession. Anyway, this is an interesting movie. Um, it's not in the easiest watch because of the uh, subject matter. However, I do like how morally gray this movie is. 
it doesn't tell you either way which way to go because you understand both sides and it does present both sides as if, yes, there is bad stuff going on that needs to be addressed. However, why is she bringing it to their attention? Is she jealous? Oh, weird. I thought you were going to say it's more like um, when... Because she is not the subject of of this... uh, sexual misconduct so when the weinstein thing started you know being exposed i heard a lot of people saying you know weinstein was trading you know sex for positions in uh these movies right yeah and i heard a counter argument that said well we don't want to take away that option from the women who are like hey man if you're if she's willing to do it and she's down like well we don't want to steal a job from her i almost thought you were saying this movie was making that argument where it's like, eh, well, maybe you're down to play ball. We don't really hear the side of the girl involved. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's all through the perspective of Jane and understanding um, her perspective. Yeah. I mean, what I'm talking about is kind of harking back more to Babyface from like 1930 or whatever, yeah. where it's, you know, that girl becomes like the head of a bank institution by sleeping her way through. I don't know. I don't, is there a place for that anymore? In our, what was that one movie that A24 was pushing? Wait, it wasn't A24, it was Alamo. That set slut in a good way. Did anybody watch that? Oh, oh no. That know. was another one where I like saw the trailer and was thinking I could either really like this or hate this. <laughs> but, but you didn't pull the trigger on Randy, that one. Randy, what are you seeing now? In general. <laughs> they're, they're fine. <laughs> what I don't know which thinking? way to be on there. Randy's hiding in the closet because he's scared of him. I'm a very introverted person, so I'm, I'm <laughs> not that type of person, you know, but yeah. What do you mean? Live your life, you know? A good or a bad way, though? A good way. <laughs> it's very French of you. Uh, but Randy, no, I recommend uh, The Assistant uh, as a Randog watch. Yeah, I've been listening to, I've listened to multiple podcast reviews about it. And uh, it sounds like something I'd be into. I've heard a lot of comparisons to the Chantal Ackerman film, John Dealman, which is like a three hour and 45 minute film. But uh, it sounds very similar in the way that it kind of just uh, kind of portrays just like an experience uh, of a day. Yeah. And like it doesn't necessarily try to make a point. Like super uh, pointedly, I guess, but um, yeah, you kind of just like experience it, and then kind of you got kind of got to deal with what you see on your own. Yes, to borrow a word um, that I, I think is going to be um, a new staple on the show that you uh, you use to describe our friend, uh, our brother in Christ, Spike Lee, uh, didactic. This is not this is yeah. not didactic in meaning that as i said it is morally gray where you do have to sort of sift out your own truth in this and i think that that's i i enjoy that much more it doesn't it it is not preachy it doesn't say this one thing and if you look up the reviews for the assistant a lot of the critic reviews are like oh this is the must see movie of the me too era is it? <laughs> is it? It, it doesn't I, sound like it from what I've heard, but... Uh, but uh, again, it, it, a lot of it has to do, and I love the setup that this is one day 
in the life. And you feel a, a lot of this movie is her cleaning up an office and her pouring coffee and, and making lunch orders and, and, and yeah. a lot of that. And it really sets the table for the rest of the movie because you are in the office with her this entire day. And even though the runtime is 90 minutes, you feel that in you feel the weight of that entire day. And by the time she goes back to Astoria, Queens, you're tired. <laughs> well, it's also, you know, we're in the age of the narrative. And I think, you know, the story that breaks about a scandal, we always are focused hyper. It's hyper focused on the, the issue at hand when you kind of lose the reality of be, the nine to five there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you dehumanize the shit yeah, so and quickly. At, uh, there's a great scene at the end of the movie where uh, it, this entire day is uh, the birthday of her father. And she she forgot that it was her dad's birthday. Oh, and good. So she, she goes into a diner at Lord knows what time, gets a muffin, and you just feel sad that she's just eating this depressing muffin that's been out there the entire day in, you know, shrink wrap. And then she calls her dad. And uh, it's a great scene. It, I, I really enjoyed this movie. And again, I do understand um, the aspect of like, it, it doesn't make a decision for you. And I, I it, but that brings up a more interesting uh, points of to uh, topics of discussion. And uh, I enjoyed the assistant. You heard it here first. Morally gray alien. Nope. Didn't work. <laughs> All right. Mr. Dude, Fisher. My mom has been blowing up my phone. I, I might, she's recently gotten into drag race Yeah, and, uh, her favorite just got eliminated last night. Um, no, we talking uh, drag race Canada. No, we're all star. Uh, Alexis Mateo went home and, uh, she's got a big controversy. Which online. one's Alexis? Uh, I'll, I'll have to show you. I'm, I don't want to digress too much. I'm actually only bringing this up so I can play a sound bit. Is Juju Yo, is that my man? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And in this case, it actually was my mom. Mom, uh, when you're listening <laughs> three months in the future, you'll know uh, I wasn't just ignoring you. This is just proof. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm keeping. Uh, I'm going to try and tackle uh, one of my new favorite box sets that I've received many a compliment on. Yes. Um, Vinegar Syndrome. They've got this. I don't know. They, they redesigned the box set and they don't have that like. What would you call that? The side angle, like the portal to, to place the, the DVD in is uh, top loading. You're going down into it that instead side. of to the side. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's these beautiful fucking boxes. I, I posted it on Instagram, but beautiful package, beautiful. And it's really the only reason I bought it, because if you know me, you know, one of my least favorite franchises ever is the Amityville horror one. And I saw the box and I'm like, you know, now why is that Russell? Are you not a spooky uh, house guy? No, I, I love ghost stories in the nuclear family. You yeah. know what I mean? I would talk about that a lot. On what is it about Amneville? There's not good. There's not you hate Long Island. No, I don't <laughs> hate Long Island. Actually, uh, Massapequa. No, it, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you watch the first Amneville horror, there's a lot of technical problems with that. There's a lot of like, like clipping audio. Like peaking audio in the movie. There's a lot of like bad direction. Um, also, the story's just not very good. Yeah. And, um, you know, I bought this box set and I'm like, all right, what the? And I'm not even sure what I'm getting. And then it arrived and I was reading the back and I'm like, wait, these are all movies about haunted or like cursed artifacts? 
So apparently, before you get in further discussion on this, and again, I am waiting on bated breath because I, yeah. I, 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 no, okay. seriously, because I, I, I kind of know what's uh, ahead of us on oh. this. But I do want to delve into the psyche of one Russell Fisher. Oh, now, no. you did mention not much there. that you do not like the Amityville franchise. Yeah. However, yeah. I do know that you like pretty and shiny things. So, what is I, that? Like this box set. Oh, okay. It's yeah, a, yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful packaging. Yeah. So, I want to know what the price point on this was because I, I kind of want to see what the. Um, what the cutoff Where the is. negotiation is? Yes. So when you said the pretty thing, I thought you were referring to a stinky tuna order I made. No. Where it's the pretty thing that lives inside the wall. That's not even I, close. I know, but I, I did order that. And that movie's fuck. Everybody hates that film. I haven't seen it. But that's from my boy, Griddle and uh, Hansel. Oz Perkins. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So I think, oh, fuck. I think it retailed at like, oh, I'm, pr- damn it. I don't want to pull it up, but I, I'm going to ballpark it. Between seventy and fifty, maybe, and that's what you paid. I don't know, you know, because I did it during a um, sale too. Okay, I get a lot of pressure from people to take advantage. Okay, of- that, that's fine. I, I, I was just wondering if you paid over a one hundred dollars for this. No, you know, I would go over a hundred for like the Lone Wolf and Cub that came out on Criterion. Yeah. Like those kind of epic, like these movies. Well, that's have- a lot of movies too. Well, those are actually like good genre films. Sure. So with this one, but I, they're also all accessible uh, through online streaming services. They, they they are, but if you're a Lone Wolf and Cub fan, you're probably a fan of owning the physical media that, too. That's fair. You know, yeah, like Western, they they're pretty materialistic. I think Arrow has all of them. Oh, was it Arrow that put it out? That Criterion did. It doesn't matter. Um, Arrow's got a lot of them. So Amityville Horror one through three are the films I'm mostly talking about. I'm very familiar with them. They're not good. If you want to argue with me. Send it into female bag. I'll read your argument. Uh, yeah. These, this box set it actually takes, it's the fourth, sixth, seventh, eighth movie. I wasn't even aware that they were real. Nope. And on top of that, it's like, dude, this is exactly, I love movies about haunted objects like Oculus. You know what I mean? The cursed mirror. And I believe one of these is about a cursed mirror. Um, but so the box set, it's all straight to video, except for the one I'm about to talk about, because I'm going to go in chronological order. And honestly, I thought I was going to get the dead weight out of the way, because straight to video, that's the fucking Wild West. Yeah. You get a lot of weird, cool shit there. Some Steven Seagal shit. Yet, the movie Amityville Horror, The Evil Escapes, is a made-for-TV movie. Oh, that's the good stuff. No. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Made for TVs, <laughs> neutered, uh, shot around commercials, no gore, no nudity. Yeah, like but you can get weird with it, bro. You can get weird if you're on like Lifetime yeah. or if you're, because <laughs> even sci fi kind of becomes, uh, it plagiarizes itself, like with um, hey, Sharknado. Brian's song was a TV movie. Well, and Trent Haga, who uh, comes up in our interview, he he said that the real crazy writer room is, you know, Lifetime. They'll let you do some crazy shit. Writer room? Yeah. What about the Red Room? What about the Red Room? Don't talk about the Red Room. Randy, did you listen to that interview last week? I haven't yet, no. All right. Just curious. We talk about you. We may have offered you up to the Golden House, but... <laughs> My friend. Don't laugh. It's fucking religion. Speaking of religion... I was trying to, you know what? I I feel like what I'm about to dive into needs a title, like like it's an audio essay, right? Does it need a theme song? 
No, and I was jotting down ideas. I think uh, the the title of uh, my review will be a. Uh, oh God, I can barely read this. I'm going to try anyway. The Christian Machine and its use of masculinity and its campaign for the nuclear family. Now, of course, I would have cleared that up a little better uh, had it been on a blog or something. But this movie is fucking batshit, and it reinforces all the nuclear. St- I mean. The, the the war on the nuclear family in a haunted house movie. Yeah. Or it's not the war on. Although this movie does feel okay, so this film, we open up with a bunch of cars pulling up to the Amityville house. What kind of cars? A, an army, I have no idea. They're boxy and kind of boring. The kind I would like to drive. Okay. Uh out from the cars comes an army of priests. Love it. And they're about to wage war on this fucking cursed house. So they run the door. We have a camera inside the house. The door flies open and priests just flood in. And it's, it's kind of like if imagine a haunted house fighting back against an army of priests. So it seems like the raid. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. because You have people going left under the camera, right out a door and up the stairs. How many priests are we talking? Well, I don't know. Maybe 30 Too many. Too 30 many. or 40. Dude, they're running in here. So like they're running upstairs and the house instantly, it knows it's being invaded. Sure. So all the doors are opening and closing. They're just slamming, opening down. Uh, pictures are flying off the walls. Lights are, sh- the chandeliers swinging. Love. Lights are coming on and off. And it, this is it. The final struggle. The house knows the jigs up. So we, we move into one of the back. Ba- oh, also, is this how the movie opens? It opens this way. Oh, mama mia. And when the cars pull up, there's a cut almost like you weren't, you're like, is this going to be a fucking Amityville movie? It cuts to an interior camera looking out a window, and we got the fly showing up. So it's already playing off of the old tropes. And yeah, identity. Gold Bloom? Yeah, it's got Gold Bloom. He's at the window. And help me. So our lead priest comes into a room, a picture, fl- a weird picture. Like before he gets in there, you're looking at this picture. And you're like, what the, who the fuck painted that? Then it flies off the wall, and you're like, whoa, it got me. And he's in there and he's yelling his shit. Well, Another door opens, and we get somebody going in there, and there's a lamp. This fucking lamp. I is, love lamp. It's the subject of our cursed uh, Thank you, Randy. Of our cursed film. It looks like, okay, you know how Groot <laughs> oh was a plant? Sure. So imagine if you were standing, kind of doing like um, your arms up. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Not, not like you're crucified. Like a like, touchdown? Like a little bit higher. A touchdown. Maybe like a goal, kind of, but a little bit lower. And you're made of roots, like twisty roots that are going into the ground. Now, your fingers, which are in spirit mode, they're spread. They all have a little light on them, like kind of like a Christmas light. Sure. And um, around your wrist are like kind e. of... Like E.T.? Kind of. Okay. They're, they're not so fingery, though. Okay. Um, they're, they're, they're lights that are given the illusion of fingertips. But around the cuff of your wrist, there would be um, metal leaves. That almost look like they're going to cut you. Uh, that's some foreshadowing for later. Anyway, your head is just, it's almost like a psychic with our crystal ball. Mm-hmm. That's right on top. So um, we get the, uh, the, imp- and the impression that the ghost is now leaving the house, traveling through the electric cord plugged into this lamp. And the lamp comes to life and there's a face that kind of looks like a wishmaster. And a uh, battle is done. Now flash forward. The house is uh, evacuated. Um, the priests leave. <laughs> the house kind of wins this war. But then later they come back and they're like, well, the evil's gone. And the moving men are just moving all the items out. 
And then, you know, they do what you do with any haunted house. They just sell everything in a yard sale. Well, here's where the movie kicks off. Somebody buys this lamp, which it is so fucking dumb looking that if the couple showing up, a couple of old ladies, kind of golden girl looking, they show up and they just start like, they start riffing on this lamp. That's so ugly. What are you going to do with it? She's like, oh, well, my sister's birthday is coming up. I'll buy this for her. It's ugly. It's kind of like a white elephant gift. We'll just, we'll send it her way. She'll get a kick out of it. So they buy a prank gift, send it to her sister who just moved because she just had her husband die. So here's where the war on the nuclear family comes in. This movie is the portrayal of a displaced family. Uh, It is a mom. She's got two daughters and a son. And she moves in with her mom. And her mom is just like, you married a fucking loser and he's dead. And he kind of stole your identity as a woman. And now you have no legs to stand on. And I don't respect you for coming here and living off of me. And there's a maid there. This movie, it just, it, (laughs) so the ghost, the, the haunting of the lamp. The lamp starts talking to the youngest daughter and telling her that uh, it's her dad. So this whole movie is this family, this tribal unit, trying to reclaim their identity, except they've been displaced into somebody else's territory, and they have no no patriarchy. It's, It's crumbled. And the weird thing that I got, because I was thinking about this movie too much, is it's almost like a narrative for colonialism. Where you you enlist the popular, uh, you know, your populace, you take all the men, you send them to war. Now, when they die and you have all these families without their uh, their fathers, it's weird to me or, you know, it clicked in my head that the uh, the Catholic religion or the Christian unit, you know, the colonial machine mm-hmm. moves in with a bunch of people called fathers who, in this case, are leading an exorcism. He's the only hope. And I think the movie, The Exorcist, this is what a lot of people talk about, where it's this kind of propaganda machine where it's like, you need these people, otherwise you are doomed. And doomed in a way that the village can't help. Because in this movie, for sure, we see all faculties of society failing. And one of my favorite is in the form of the plumber. Now, the closest, he's, I almost want to call him an Ahab. So you've seen arachnophobia, right? I think, I think everybody's seen arachnophobia. One of the best characters in that movie is the exterminator who shows up and he's kind of like the village, you know, coming in to help people. In this movie, it's the plumber. There's an issue. So a girl's brushing her teeth, yeah. the middle daughter or the oldest daughter. And it, uh, she's like, something's wrong. And she's got her toothbrush in her mouth and it's not blood. We're not doing it. It's all black. And she's like, and it shows the faucet. It's just black water coming up, like thick, sludgy black water. Squid ink. So then she goes, and then her mom runs downstairs and is like, hey, something's wrong with the plumbing. But they're in there in the kitchen running the water. And they're like, it smells like uh, sulfur. So it's like shit water. It's so good. (laughs) So my daughter's got her toothbrush in her mouth going, oh, what's going on? So they get a plumber out there. Dark waters. And I'll tell you, there's an interesting vignette where we get this plumber on his belly crawling under the house trying to get to the the root of this evil right we know as the audience like you fool it's the lamp it's that dumb looking lamp up there that i I should have mentioned in the yard sale it cut one of the ladies that bought it Uh and she's like oh the lamp anyway cut to a week later her finger looks like it's got like mummy rot it's like it's weird raisin finger now and she's in the er 
and uh spoiler alert she dies from it oh no she passes away because her index finger turned to shrivel that's pretty bad it's awesome and i'll tell you and here we are worried about covid i know right you can get mummy lamp disease stay away from the fucking yard sales so the plumber's on his belly he's crawling like straight like trench warfare under this house yeah gets to the pipe he he grabs his wrench and he's trying to open it and it's just like what dude it's fucking suspenseful well, the pipe bulges like in a cartoon. Like it goes like, and this metal pipe like has a bubble in it. It opens and it it pours sludge on him. But uh, what made me emote out loud was the human hand that came out of the pipe. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, there's a that's gonna grab him, but no, it's a severed hand, and it falls and it hits him in the face, almost for like comedic Who's approach. Hand? I don't know. But the sludge, it almost waterboards him to death. So he he drowns in septic sludge. It's not a way to go. And then the ghost is like, all right, I should lean off here. So it stops and the water goes back to normal. The family's like, wait, where's the plumber? So they walk outside and his van starts pulling away. It's like, wait, what the fuck? So cut to a camera in the interior of the van and the e-brake goes down and we start rolling away. And me, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, there's hills. It'd be dumb to think that a ghost was going to jump in here and drive the car away. But just shifting the e-brake, I'll bite. Except um, they're not in San Francisco like us. There's no big hills. Actually, they're in Southern California, and it's all flatland. And the van makes a sharp turn around the court and then leaves and gets out onto the road. And it's like, wait, the ghost is steering the van? Also, the van never comes back up in the movie again. Also, the Amityville house was in Long Island. Yeah, but they in- moved. But remember that th- uh, that house got invaded by priests. So now the lamp got. got sh- I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. And um, the van just takes off. It hits the open road, and it's gone. Also, the plumber. They never go back to that corpse in the basement uh-huh. under the house. It's weird. Now I'll tell you, I was worried about approaching this film because I. I fucking just wrote down everything I thought was interesting. At one point, um, the son goes downstairs and he's, you know, he's the male of the house now and he's trying to get a tool. He picks up a chainsaw. The thing just goes off. It goes wild. Now he's, he's cutting down all the support beams in the basement because the chainsaw is out of control. Well, the way that they fix this problem is the nanny, not a nanny. She's more of like a live-in maid. She grabs a crowbar. There you go. She grabs a fucking crowbar and does like a sword fight with him and wrestles away the chainsaw. This movie is like insane. Now, I feel like I've already talked too much about it. I got to tell you, the climax, it almost makes fun of uh, The Exorcist in the way that it goes down. But it's a fucking, that's a climax. You want to know how to end a movie? End it like this one. Um, There's a cat character in this film named Pepper. Okay. uh, Barely in the movie. At the very end of the film, I, this is no spoiler, but it's, it may get people to watch it. The lamp uh, is in ruins on a beach. Uh, you figure out how it got there. The cat is running along the beach, and we zoom in on Chariots the cat. fire style? We, we zoom in on the cat, and the cat looks at the camera, and it freeze frames, and his eyes turn red. And it is the lamest piece of work in this whole movie, but I out loud started laughing it was fucking great now the reason i bring that up is because special features on here we got a couple of interviews one with the cinematographer and one with the flip monot (laughs) no it's not flip monot (laughs) 
What? <laughs> Although great reference, I we add, we ought to add him on the list of people we want to track down. Um, he's absolutely on the list if you would pay attention to the oh, list. Okay. he was one of the original. No, no. Put-ups. Hey, shout out to Oksana who's taking it over. So the she quality is. in this show is going to only go up. She informed me of uh, yeah. I don't don't that we booked it. for two weeks. Don't ago. don't curse for it. two weeks now. Um. Anyway, yeah. The cinematographer talks. Um. Let me see. I got his IMDb and I earlier had what hasn't he worked on dude he so right off in the beginning of the interview he talks about a movie called hard rock zombies and he kind of just shits on it he's like you would have never seen this movie i don't even put it on most of my resumes ynt music video yeah he did mean streak ynt but he also shot chopping mall he he did i'm gonna get you sucker yeah straight out of hell stand and deliver nightmare on the 13th floor which is randy he did jeremy dude I don't know if I've seen it. The Pearl Jam video, <laughs> Randy. Oh. So, okay. That's a great interview. The one I want to talk about is from um, uh, the guy who wrote this feature, who also wrote the original Amityville. And he, he he's so candid. And he just tells a bunch of great stories. Pick up this movie, at least to hear him talk. He tells... um a story about the house that they film in um, Southern California mm-hmm. and how the lady refused to let them shoot the, the front of the house. And she tells them last time I let a film crew on here, they trampled my roses. Oh. And she's like, it's unacceptable and you cannot shoot in the front. And then he was just like, well, who's the producer? Like this guy's got to be a weirdo. Of course, same producer. So they banned the producer from the set because they didn't want the house owner to know. But dude, they built a, a an exterior on a cliff so they could get exterior shots. You can't be trampling on the roses now. That's what he said. He's like, I, I want you to know I love roses and I would never dream of trampling on them. They're beautiful. Dude, great interviews on here. Um I I wish I, I what didn't. What kind of animals go mess up a, a, a old lady's rose garden? <laughs> Probably a fucking <laughs> rip or something. It's, God. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, I don't. I could. Oh man, I could talk forever on this thing. Um, the the most interesting thing though, I thought was the family struggling to find a, I don't know, comfort in a in a matriarchy as opposed to a patriarchy, and the weird implication that the church can offer you that and i'll tell you there's um there's a little side plot with the older daughter and um her vetting a mate kind of so there's a dude that shows up i believe he's the director or the writer's son he's like there we get a lot of family feel in here too but he shows up and she's not really into him even though she i don't know her hormones are going full also the son in this movie looks like a fucking weirdo but that's a that's a different thing when the when the father finally shows up, he's a younger dude. He's kind of a strapping guy. She's clearly smitten with him. And she grabs him and kisses him at the end of the movie. And it's like, I don't know. I felt a little uh, like the wool had been pulled over my eyes. But now, now I saw it. And this, this fucking, I see what the church is doing. I know why it's like the number one religion. Or is it? I think there's a lot of Muslims, too. Uh, this is not a subject I'm going to touch. Here, here's the thing: religion very so, popular, and uh, <laughs> it's fine. We're not. I'm not saying good things about it. Although, I mean, if you find yourself without a dad, and yes, there's conveniently a dude they call father down the street. And if you what? have a if you have a fucking ghost in your house, we fuck. do. 
he can he might be able to Randy, help. Randy, I tell you, we got a ghost confirmed. No. <laughs> Randy, you still wait. Also, Randy. Is it Casey Affleck in a sheet? Oh, f- no. You we, wish. We don't want to get me too'd by a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> no, Randy. What are you in fucking the night eats the day or whatever? What is the night eats the world? Night eats the world. Yeah. I can hear the drum. Oh, that's my life. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's vague. Don't don't trip. Anyway, yeah. That's Amityville, The Evil Escapes. The mm. lamp. Man, I would put that lamp on a goddamn t-shirt. It is so goofy looking. It's got the head of like Mysterio. All right. Try to see if you can Google it. Oh, the lamp? Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know, Clark, dude. If you're interested in watching this. Oh, also... Look at this. True Grit, A Further Adventure. What's that? Have you ever heard of that? No. That's one of the other movies written by is, the guy who did it, Amityville. Is it a TV True Grit? Dude, look at this guy's written some shit. Is it Rooster Cogburn? Shark, it, so it's not John Wayne. So I pulled it up. But and it's it, the character. Yeah, it's it's Rooster, Rooster Cogburn, but it's Warren Oates. And Matty Ross. So it's just a different take on it? I don't know. We got LaBeef? Dude, we, <laughs> we got We got a Shia? No, no, this movie is old, 1978. No, but I mean, LaBeef is the name of the character. Oh, no. I, wasn't that new? Wasn't that a Coen Brothers thing? I don't think he was in the original. Uh, no, that was portrayed by Glenn Campbell. Oh, his name was LaBeef, though? Was it? I don't know. I feel like that was a unique... It doesn't matter. Uh, so, you know, Amityville Horror Homie. Also, in the interview, he talks about why he did the cat thing. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, also... Seems cool. I'll tell you, this movie, made for TV... Never once popped in my head. Now, when I was listening to the interview, he talked about how you had to shoot around commercial breaks, like to, you know, cliffhangers. It didn't read like that. I am amazed, just amazed that I completely forgot it was made for TV movie. What did, uh, what'd you letterbox this bad boy? What would I? Oh, dude, easy four. I, I might even give it more. Yeah, I really liked it. The acting is bizarre. And, um, Again, it's one of those things where it's constantly fresh. Okay. We're always doing new bits here. There's a lot of there's a lot of blood for a made for TV movie. He also talked about so the cinematographer mentions how when you shoot for TV, you don't actually get to follow up with the editing bay and you don't know what they're doing. So you just shoot the movie and you're done. Oh. Now they did they had enough foresight to try and fake gore. So say there's blood, they won't show the blood come out even though there's a knife puncture in this movie, oh boy. but they'll cut away from it to kind of a similar thing and then cut back to it with blood. So when, um, homie was getting drowned by septic, uh, haunted goo, they cut to a uh, lady uh, to the, um, the fine, uh, housekeeper pouring soup into a bowl. Like they did those little things, which were infinitely grotesque, but it was, I don't know. It's, it's a great film. And, it definitely was not the hurdle to get into the meat of the shit like I thought it was going to be. Um, also, when I when I posted on Instagram that I bought this thing, so many people came out of the woodwork and were just like, oh, dude, that's my favorite one. Like, that particular film. Like, I guess people had just had relationships with these out of uh, movie rental places. Yep. Yeah, and get ready because the next three weeks I'm just going to do... Each one. You're going through the whole box. I'm, I'm committing. All right. Amityville. All right. Well, we need to come up with a uh, Russell Amityville. Oh, uh, yeah. Bit. Hey, <laughs> find a good sound bite and send it to me. There we go. I gave you 97 sound bites. No, no, you, no, gave, no. you gave I, me dick. I'm addressing the beautiful audience that we have. 
not you. <laughs> I am I am one quarter of our audience. No, you don't listen anymore. I do. Okay. Well then if you find a good sound bite, I'm looking at you, Clark. All right. <laughs> Send it my way. Well, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for being alive. And I thoroughly took the energy out of Clark man, with my it, rundown. It is hot in this room. It's, it's very hot. It's hot. Randy, I have a pool of sweat under my belly that's like right there at the upper part of my groin <laughs> and the belly. It's okay, awful. no more. Of the, I, you know, I know in the intro you're going to talk about the interview. I just want to say um, Chris is the fucking coolest. And we talk to so many people that we, we spend 45 minutes with. And we just know like we would be hanging out if we lived 45. in the same state. Normally, oh, I mean, that's the old normal. The interview was like This is the new, the new norm. And we went long with Chris and hang out and check the, check the fucking thing. Also, none of us talked about the fucking beach house. It came out this week and it was in Chattanooga. I watched 30 minutes and bailed. You bailed on I it? I bailed on well, it. You fucking suck. Dude, the, the beginning is good. Mm. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Chris, I know you're listening. Clark hated your movie. I didn't now, care for any of the characters. <laughs> yeah, but who cares? I do. Then take comfort in knowing it's a horror movie and they're probably going to die. Like edibles, man. That's you. That's nah, why you're bro. like, you're like, I don't look like that. Nah. Although I, I was like, when he started to wash his hands and the edibles kicked in, I was like, I've been there. <laughs> He's like, fuck, no, I, missed, man. I mixed the crust into the lemon when it, mix. When it started getting all Lovecrafty. Wait, did you talk about that at all? What? <laughs> about your lemon cake? Kerfuffle? I don't know if that made the show. I was told, telling Randy about it. I don't think so. I think that was before. <laughs> I'm thinking about getting making a new one, but I'm going to cut it. Uh, see, the problem with it. All right. So what I did. Oh, I didn't mean to get you going. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can wrap this up in 30 seconds, unlike you with anything. Oh, I know. I can. I was going to make lemon squares, <laughs> and I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing, and everybody went in the pool at the same time. Now, what you need to know is that Clark doesn't segregate, not even in the kitchen. So everybody went in together. So the eggs went in with the flour mix, which it was supposed to go in with the lemon mix to make the custard. And so I knew I had fucked it up. So I just put <laughs> everything in together and just made a lemon cake. And it was actually pretty good. Uh, but I need is too lemony. Nah, not it, enough. What are you talking about? Oksana made some lemon cakes like the week prior and she put like, she that, squeezed real lemons into it. That lemon cake was very lemony. Oh, so it I'm, was bull. So I'm going to put some um, chocolate chips or blueberries in there to cut some of that oh, acidity. Man. Come on. It'd be pretty good. Lemon heads unite. I'd love them. Yeah. But I don't know. Nah. Like <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I'm down. I okay, love the lemon yeah, cake. Right. All right. So enjoy, uh, Chris. Fantastic interview. Uh, this guy's the real deal, man. And uh, it was just, uh, it was a thrill and an honor to to talk to um, another guy, you know, trying to fight the good fight, and uh, you know, understanding that, you know, his he and I, he and we, he and we, we we all have the same goal, and that is to we want to elevate the films that we love, and we want we are doing this. Um, really to to benefit the filmmakers themselves and so uh we are aligned in that vision and it's just great to hear a guy um you know be very similar in our views in that and was able to pivot into this unknown territory that is covid and he had six weeks and 
Uh, he thought everything was going to be taken from him, but he was able to pivot and uh, got a great partnership with Microsoft has a great story about how all that transpired and how he was able to make um, Chattanooga Film Fest uh, 2020 a success and uh, really take his film festival to a new level. And so it was an honor to talk to him and a treat. And uh, yeah, enjoy that episode. And we'll see you next week. Chris, how are you, man? Thanks for stopping in. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me stop in. I'm happy to be asked. Of course, man. We we were super excited um, when we were able to get you on, and uh, because, man, you really uh, you you took that whole weekend away from us, man. We were just uh, locked in to Chattanooga that entire weekend. I'm really glad to hear it. Uh, that, that means a lot. Yeah, we we had no idea if that was going to work or not. So, well, you know, the way I came to your film fest. Oh fuck, who covered it? I know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know through any media channel that I had heard about um, Chattanooga. Sure. I got several texts, though, from friends. Randy reached out first yeah. and was like, hey, I'm doing this. You guys might be interested. And then uh, Robbie Smith, a filmmaker out here in the East Bay, he texted me directly and was like, you should promote this because I think your audience would like it. That's awesome. Uh, so that this this virtual edition then is the first cha- time you guys experienced CFF at all. You hadn't been to an on the ground version or anything. No, but we. Uh, I that's awesome. Uh, no, I, I that that's really cool because I'm I'm hearing that more and more. I, I, I like a, as a discovery tool for people who can't necessarily you know buy a plane ticket and hop to Tennessee. This has been a really really cool experiment to see how many people have have now had a chance to experience this thing and what it does. Uh, so I love hearing that honestly. Yeah, I mean, we were familiar uh, with the festival um, name-wise because uh, Chris and Lee, uh, Chris Bavoda and, and uh, Lee oh, Paul. Oh, sure. Uh, awesome. yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, friends of ours, and uh, they had told us that they had been down there, and they were big champions of you guys. So, um, and, then when, and then Randy sent me a text message on Saturday morning, said, hey, man, for 30 bucks, you can watch unlimited movies to the Chattanooga <laughs> Film Fest. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, I got my weekend plans. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, we definitely like the the whole point was to make it sort of an all you can eat buffet. So it's <laughs> it sounds like that lured you in. That's wonderful. Yeah, and um, just a little background on us, Chris, because we sure. always got to talk about us. Um, <laughs> okay. we, I'm fine. We, Aaron, no, I'm <laughs> we also run a film fest. Yeah, yeah, you're a found footage festival, which I'm I'm a huge found footage apologist. So I love you for that. That's incredible. Uh, We love you, too. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. You kind of went into a bold, unexplored territory as far as we're concerned. Now, we we have, you know, oh, man, we're we're finding an uphill battle with our programming, but we're still in the horror community. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much you've gotten a push for it, but we've had outside influencers tell us you know, you go online, go online. Like there's a bigger audience there. And in my head, I kept thinking, well, we care about the filmmaker and yeah. these are small films that, you know, most people don't go to found footage because they have some, uh, I don't know, some epiphany with how they want to tell their story and they want to approach it with a different narrative. It's usually they have no money. Right. And when I think of an online film fest, I think, okay, the minute we, we launch, everything is going to be pirated. That that was my number one concern in going into this year. And in fact, when, when Microsoft started calling us about doing a virtual event, 
I wasn't even sure that it was them. I thought I was being pranked. Like, mm -hmm. how could they have heard of us? Uh, and how could that even be achieved? And so when they finally convinced me it wasn't a sales call, the first thing I said to them was, I can't do a virtual film event. What if I get even one movie leaked? My festival's reputation is ruined. Like as a person who's supposed to be out here championing independent films and protecting and you know, nurturing their work. If I get a movie, you know, we've, we, uh, I'm sure you guys know the, the RKSS guys, the filmmakers who made Turbo Kid, you know, that, that's one story right there. It's like, I think Turbo Kid was torrented like five or six million times. If those guys yeah. had even gotten a dollar yes. rental fee from each person who helped themselves to their movie, then they'd be in a completely different, you know, point in their career now. So it's just like, you know, flash to all these nightmares of, of every film that I showed getting put out there. And to be very frank with you, the lineup for our on the ground edition looked a hell of a lot different than the lineup from our virtual edition. We had a lot of people for everyone who did trust us and take the ride. There were a lot of people that told us to, can I curse by the way? I can't. Yeah, I, no, I, you're good. Okay. Awesome. Uh, who told us to go fuck ourselves that, that they were sure that this wasn't the right way to do it. We had films that were so new that they were sure that this was going to ruin their distribution. And the, the fact of the matter is we cared about all of those things the whole way through. And that's why, even though we knew we would lose some accessibility and some viewers on the decision not to support Google Chrome, we realized that Google Chrome had enough security issues. You could kind of drive a truck through it and that you could even use things like QuickTime Pro, another Microsoft program to screen capture and steal the movie. So it was just yep. not a decision we were going to be able to, you know, as much as I wanted Chrome, and the other users that we would have gotten from it, I couldn't make a decision that didn't have to do with the filmmaker's security. That's also why we didn't do, you know, iTunes apps. Also, I don't really ideally want people watching the films on their cell phone, but, you know, so there were a lot of decisions <laughs> made with, with the filmmaker's security in mind that, you know, it was a huge, terrifying, brave new world that I did not know what was going to happen. And I have to tell you, for like the week after the festival, I had a bunch of people scouring torrent sites for me to find even one thing so much as a short film. And thankfully to this point, nothing has been leaked. So I really do feel like wow, all the, all the fuss was worth it. Yeah. Dude, congratulations. Thank that's you. I, uh, Cause I mean, I, it's obviously you guys are, are pure of heart and in this for all the right reasons. You're even doing this podcast mm -hmm. to talk about how much you love it. And for, for people like us that, that, you know, take on these labors of love, it's like, nobody wants to, to, fuck up the career of a filmmaker. None of us want to be a reason that someone's film gets put out in the wrong way. And so it was just a, it was a scary time for sure. Fuck. That's amazing. So Microsoft reached out to you. They reached out to me. It's a cool story how they reached out to me too. And in a, in a good example of why as a film festival director or a person who runs a film festival, how you really have to create this warm inviting environment for everybody we had shown year one seven years ago the film cheap thrills and it's screenwriter trent trent haga is an awesome guy he's done a lot of work in the video game sector written some incredible games and we over the years have stayed in touch with trent and had tried to support any project he was a part of like we showed 68 kill uh, his his directorial debut not long after that you know we've just stayed in touch he's a good guy and when microsoft got in touch with anybody in their sphere that they knew were involved in film and said, we want to try to do our own virtual film festival. How do we do that? Trent was awesome and was like, no, you don't. <laughs> Microsoft doesn't need to do a virtual <laughs> film event. What they need to do is find a nonprofit 
film event that's doing this for the right reasons, that's already got a small amount of buzz building about it and help them during this pandemic. Don't try to do your own thing. And to their absolute credit, they came and got in touch with me and and asked me if I want to do... Initially, we started talking about it being a film series. Like, choose five or six of the titles that would have been a part of your festival. Uh, and uh, let's just do a film series. Well, my first thing there was like, well, what about the other 75 filmmakers that I've either accepted their submissions or we had a, a screening set up to go? I can't tell those people that I'm now not picking them. This is the ultimate Sophie's choice. I can't do that. And so they were like, all right, well, how many films do you want in? And I was like, how many can I put in? <laughs> and so <laughs> it was just a back and forth. And, and then the most hilarious part of it was like, all right, we think we can accommodate all the films you have in the festival, but we should tell you that we don't necessarily think of Microsoft as being a very horror brand. So let's avoid gore and horror movies. And I was just like, yep, okay. And then we just did what we did. <laughs> so <laughs> to their absolute credit, when the festival went down and it was loaded with gore and horror and all the things that we love, they didn't turn away from it or pull the plug they realized how many great people love genre film and went along for the ride. And it was kind of magical to see them have that about face, but to their credit, they started not necessarily wanting us to lean as heavily into the genre side of things as we do. And by the end, they were on the ground laughing their asses off with us as we had the devil participate in literal filmmaker Q and A. So it was, it was pretty fun. <laughs> wow. I'm blown away by that, especially in the era of like, okay, so pandemic's full on now and uh, sure. I'm spending um, too much time on YouTube. And uh, oh, one, of the things, yeah. one of the things I watch is scam bait videos. So I've seen hours of people pretending to be Microsoft. Oh I, God, so much of it. Dude, I could just imagine getting that phone call and just hanging up. Hey, there, there were there were two prior calls, and on the third email that came through, he was finally like, "Please hear me out. This is not a sales call." And when I heard him out, the guy on the other end of the phone was a dude named Marco Rota. He could not have been cooler. Could not have understood this more. Laughed at all the weird jokes that I made. Just was a guy that I knew was one of us. And then. Uh, from there, I realized that he was actually a good friend of Trent Haga. This was a guy that was going to Trent's house a couple times a month, having a beer. So, you know, Trent had done a good job of putting the festival in context for him before he even reached out to me. So it's by the time the conversation with them happened, Marco really had kind of chosen us. It wasn't a thing where I had to like pitch CFF or, or anything like that, which was also kind of amazing to me. But the whole way I went about it as kind of a cranky camper. I was really cranky and, and, and wanted that to, to have all those assurances about security I wanted to make sure that I was going to not have any punches pulled for me on the programming side of things. And like I said, to their credit, they really didn't, you know, try to reel our sensibilities in, in any way. If anything, they kind of, I feel like empowered us to do some of the most creative stuff we've been able to do. Now, where did the enthusiasm come from? Like, why were they looking to put on a film fest? So I, I, I know that, Microsoft is is getting in the business of developing a lot of new technologies that have to do with film and filmmakers and all kinds of cool things that are being done on that end, all kinds of cool things their partners are developing. And one thing that they can't go and do is say, all right, you know, Disney and Marvel, we've invented this new camera that does some really incredible stuff. Would you be interested in experimenting with it on the set of your $200 million tentpole Marvel title? 
And, you know, Marvel's going to tell them, go fuck yourselves. We know how to film this. We know we have all the gear. But an independent filmmaker who's struggling to even find the money in their budget to get a camera package, they'd be willing as hell to try out some new technology, be a guinea pig for it, and potentially help Microsoft learn as much from the filmmaker as the filmmaker gets a benefit of, out of that. So one of the things they were struggling with, they can get Disney on the phone, no problem. Well, who they can't get on the phone is, you know, this incredibly massive community of independent filmmakers. They don't even know where to start. Uh, you know, so it's it's one of those things where we were able to to show them the benefit of not just, you know, interfacing with studios, but also, you know, it kind of putting into context for them what an incredible place the independent film community was and what an incredible amount of talent there was. And like I said, they kind of, you know, bought in and, and came along for the ride. And and now I'm I'm actually developing another project with them. And I, I do believe that we're going to continue along the route of trying to produce some other virtual events. And I, I, there's even some stuff coming up in October that I think you guys will be excited about. So uh, it's been a really cool relationship, honestly, for, for being such a big company, you know, and, and, you know, being a guy who's a big fan of Wayne's world, I was like, you don't want to sell Wayne's world to the evil network, you know, like <laughs> you got to avoid that. And to their credit, there has never been a point where I felt like I was selling my soul to the devil. It's only been a kind-hearted group of folks that have gotten it. Now, Chris, walk me through the timeline here of when when did you? Because I am interested. So when I'm just I only know this through our own perspective when we're planning things out. So sure, uh, typically you know we give ourselves a few weeks, and and I think the pandemic has really thrown a lot, uh, thrown a couple of wrenches in our plan of of planning for next year. Cause who the hell knows sure. what the world's going to look like next year. So right. how, and you've already said, you know, you've got, you've got future. How is this going to change Chattanooga film fest moving forward? I mean, is this the new Chattanooga? You know, that's a great question. Uh, okay. Like you guys, I got into this because I love the power of, of film in a communal setting. I think some of the greatest experiences I've ever had watching a movie have been with an appreciative audience. You know, I we're a festival that's showcased a lot of 35 millimeter over the years. We've done a lot of things that, you know, prior to now, I would not ever have been the guy to tell you that I would have even considered going virtual. I wanted people down on the ground and in the room with me. And then after this year, some things started to happen. I started to get emails from people who said things like, oh, hey, I walk on crutches and it's been my lifelong dream to attend a film festival but I've never been able to do it until this weekend. And now I, I kept noticing something about those emails. Those people were using the word attend. Or when they watched an event like the Joe Dante thing, they were saying, I got to meet or see. So they were, there were these words being used that made it feel very much like, even though they weren't in the same room as that experience, when it went down, they had that experience. That was real to them. That was just as tactile a memory as something as I might have offered them on the ground. And that was something that I just didn't feel like I could ignore because, you know, same deal for you guys running a festival, audience development, figuring out how your next year's audience is going to be even bigger than the one, you know, that you just staged is a huge part of growth and figuring out the future. And so for me, I've always tried to make CFF this warm and inclusive environment to kind of kill the idea of what a film snob is. This isn't about pretentiousness. This isn't about snobbery. I feel like a lot of people that really love movies have over the years told me shit like, oh, I, I love movies a lot, but I don't consider myself a film buff. And it's like when they say something like that, I think, all right, what gatekeeper made you feel like you didn't, you weren't a fucking film buff 
you obviously love this. You just don't want to fucking go toe to toe with someone and talk about Bergman films because that might not be your area, you know, kind of a thing. So it's like, we've always tried to have this vibe of accessibility. And for me to not lean into what this brought us after receiving emails like that, getting emails from people like, I'm a, I'm a single mom, I'm a teacher, I never would have been able to afford Sundance, but for 30 bucks, I got to do this. And that's another thing, even the $30 price point, it's like, I'm sorry to say this, and I don't mean to talk shit about other festivals. I love film and I love film festivals, but I think the era of the $1,000 Sundance country club pricing is hopefully dying. And it's my hope that events and initiatives like this can kind of start to hammer more nails into that coffin. Film should be something that has some accessibility to it. And this got me to a place where I not only feel like more people were getting to access and enjoy it, it helped me break that bubble of being in Chattanooga. And again, you know, I'm very happy with the, the reputation that we have over just seven years of existing, but there's a lot of people who hear a name like Chattanooga Film Festival and they think, oh, that's a tiny regional film festival. There's no reason for me to pay them any mind. And I've wondered, you know, to myself privately over the years, I'm very happy with what CFF has been doing, but how much better could it do if I was able to penetrate or break that bubble of what people outside Chattanooga were able to see? And so now, you know, hearing stories like the one you guys told me about how you found out about it, it's hard for me to think like, gosh, this isn't an interesting direction for a film festival to move in. I, I have to, you know, I have to be aware of those things and, and, you know, use those as I do decide whether or not to take something completely virtual and not do on the ground stuff anymore. I think that's a very long answer to tell you that I think the future for us holds a mix between on the ground events and virtual events. But like you just said, who the hell. So running a film fest from the point of view of being a horror fan. I feel like this is a unique area too. Like, okay, so out here in the Bay Area, we have like, fuck, you throw a stone and you hit a film fest out here. Yeah. On the East sure. Bay and over here in San Francisco. And all of them, I'm, I'm going to say something that could be kind of mean, but they're all like holier than thou cinema gods who are showing up and we're celebrating the life of celluloid. And, you know, horror fans don't usually get that kind of love. Unless you're no. coming out at E24 and your genre elevated or something. And community is so important for these events, for like a theater, right? You want to watch a movie with people. And sure. yet, why is it so hard to drag a casual horror fan, maybe not a film fan, but a, you know, a fan of the horror genre out to a film fest? I found this to be uh, one of the struggles that I engage in daily. Sure. Are you saying with the general public, there's a, a negative uh, connotation? With, no, no. Yeah. With thank you for fest? helping. No, I'm saying like, how do you describe what a film fest is to somebody who spends most of their free time watching movies anyway? What, what I've learned is that there is a real, because of that, that exact level of pretentiousness you're talking about, there is a kind of, there can be negative connotations around the term film fest. People think it's that like celebration of pretentiousness. So like eight years ago, when we started looking at what the first Chattanooga film festival would look like, my little bullshit experiment to myself was, all right, what if we create a film event that is way more interested in escapism than it is prestige drama. And we completely lean into the fact that genre films are what the people that I love, love the most. And I want to feed the people that I love. I want to make a film festival that's 
that's you know created to, for a person like me to have a weekend where I get to experience the kind of things I want and ex- and fill it with as much fun as I can, and then see if that works and if that catches on. And sure enough, man, I, I, the first couple of years, I, I I also because I was just starting out in Chattanooga. I made a couple of safe picks. I made a couple of like, all right, I'm going to choose a couple more dramas than I would just to kind of onboard people. But then at the end, when I would look at the attendance numbers, those films, the the dramas did okay, but the off the charts numbers were in movies like what we did in the shadow, doing the shadows or it follows or things like that. So it was like, I could kind of tell that the experiment was giving me the data I wanted. The, The people were getting excited about the kinds of movies that I was getting excited about you know, showing them. And to, to me, if I hadn't leaned further into that, then I would be, and I'm not saying I'm a good festival programmer, but I would be a very bad festival programmer because then I'd be ignoring the most important data there is data directly from my audience telling me what they loved and what they didn't. Yeah. Now I think, uh, my terrible question, I think what I'm trying to get to is when you, when you put together a program and you have all these great, like, horror films that you're ready to present and defend and you love and share with the world. I think the crowd that would go to the movies regularly may already show up. I'm I'm mostly talking about people who own an Amazon prime account and they spend all their time watching indie uh, para uh, paranormal films or, you know, and you know, like, like kind of like, so you, yeah, well, maybe, (laughs) Yeah, like me. <laughs> Maybe the most hardcore horror fans. <laughs> right. They're kind of closeted or who would really benefit maybe the most from showing up to a film fest. Like, have you had any luck tapping into them? I, I have uh, over, over the years, every year, at least one story of someone kind of meekly coming up to me at one of our events and saying, look, man, I've been in my little movie bunker that I've built for myself. I'm an antisocial person. I'm a socially awkward person. I've dealt with a lot of depression, which are things that I myself have majorly dealt through. And in fact, the creation of the Chattanooga Film Festival was a lot of helping me deal with my own demons and my own sadness and my own feeling that there weren't other people or friends out there for a person like me. And what this festival has done for me is make the world feel a lot smaller and a lot friendlier. And every year there's been at least one person that's reached out to me that's had a story like that. So I feel like every year there's at least one kind of success story and one person that we can kind of break through like that. The exception has been this year, I've received at least a hundred of those types of emails based after this virtual event. So I, I not only feel like we've had some success you know, letting folks know that this was an event for them, like you're saying, I feel like now it's it's bigger than it's ever been in our history, and I'm genuinely grateful for it. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to be tricky with my setup. <laughs> sorry, I, sorry. I, I was trying to get you to basically say that because I think our mental struggle with uh, the prospect of going online has sure. always been. Well, I mean, uniquely in our case, when we're dealing with found footage horror, we have a lot of power as programmers to be in the room with the movie. Right. So when people sure. flood into the lobby and they're kind of like, man, what the hell? What did I just watch? We can kind of like zoom into that conversation and maybe like help hold their hand through it. I, I like, think that's a huge part of what we are as film programmers is like giving people context for, for something 
you know, that makes them understand why it's special, or at least makes them understand why it was so special that we as a festival chose it and wanted to put it in front of them. And so, yeah, that, that like finding a great way to, to put everything into fun context for people is honestly one of the most challenging parts of the job because every year we make ourselves, and I'm sure you guys do the same thing. We put out a program for the festival years ago. We started not just writing these little paragraph long blurbs of the movies. We tried to do, if we could essentially a full page essay on each movie. And it, it was something that we tried to keep it entertaining. And I have no idea of anyone other than my mom read all those things, <laughs> but Every once in a while, I'd have someone walk up to me and they'd, you know, mention something that I know they had to read in a write up. So I, I, I have enough, you know, baseline evidence to think that there's at least somebody out there that's reading this stuff and appreciating it. So I definitely think like one of our, the, the most powerful and also fun parts of being a film programmer is, is kind of, you know, <laughs> getting your audience to, to, to grab that hook that you baited and come along with you on a ride for, for something that they're not necessarily, you know, they don't know what to expect. And that's why, like, I don't know if you guys do this at your festival, but one of the great joys I have every year is doing a secret screen. And that secret screening could be something brand new. We've done things that are like a work in progress that the filmmaker, like 68 kill when we did, it was a secret screening. It, uh, it had, was signed up to play at Tribeca, but they were still tightening up the cut and making some changes and they gave us a work in progress screening. So that audience got to see something that no audience had really seen yet. And then uh, a year after that, we did night of the comet with Kelly Maroney and Joe Bob. They just walked out after, and you know, people in the audience, it was one of those things where I could have just told people we were showing night of the comet. But if I had done that, I might not have lured 30 people who could give a fuck or had no idea what Night of the Comet was into a room to watch and then fall in love with it. So it's it's uh, it's always it's it's an interesting catch and release being a programmer, I feel like. Now, you've you've brought up something that I think is the most important thing about the Chattanooga Film Fest in 2020 being online. Right. It's curating. Like it's the, it's the negotiation between you who your audience has grown to love and uh, trust and bringing it onto like the evil platform of the void that is the internet. Yeah. Now we're kind of a people who I don't even know if casual people even uh, respect or uh, respect, maybe not the right word who right. appreciate how much film there is now. It's almost oh. just like, it's almost like a natural resource at this point. You it's have, everywhere. Dude, all these different streaming services that all have original content, so much that we can't even keep up with it. It's oversaturation. And when I heard, I'm getting all this pressure from my friends via text right. who are directing me, check out Chattanooga. The first thing in my head, I'm like, well, what, is this just going to be like an offshoot of Amazon Prime? Like, is, right. you know how Amazon Prime's like, oh, you have Shutter and you get it through us. And yeah. you're kind of given this clunky interface that you're like, and you, you don't know, even uh, get the live stuff. Like if, if, if a show, like for example, they did cursed films there and it was like a week before Amazon prime shutter subscribers got access to it as, as opposed to those who had direct access to shutter. I know what you're saying. Yeah, dude, for sure. And I, you know, I've been paying for shutter for like three years now. It's I barely same, ever yeah. watched it. <laughs> Great stuff on that. I know, but I usually, yeah. you know, it's people I'm ass with you. assaulting me via text going, dude, it. you got to check this out. And so, yeah. you know, we download, so I'll, I'll just, I want to run you through my journey with Chattanooga. Sure. No, because, please. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So, okay. We're in the pandemic and we're at the height of the lockdown, at least here in California, we're very proud about our lockdown here in the Bay area. Yeah. And 
we, you know, we live with people. Uh, so what? We got me and Clark. We live together. That's why we're broadcasting from here. Then Oksana, okay. he also works on a, the Film Fest and does all the Overlook stuff with us. And we're we're lucky. We're locked together. I have a projector. I have a room. Right. Lucky's a word. It's a word. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's centered around film. So we're kind of equipped to digest right. a, a Film Fest via the internet. Sure. Yeah. Yet I was still, I was like, oh, what the hell is this thing going to look like? So we go. I, I went in the, a day ahead of you. You did. Um, so you, you had uh, pretty much all day Sunday. And right. uh, you do a little bit on well, Monday, right? Here's the thing. Before we even get into the Film Fest, the only reason I think I was so into it was because you right. brought your computer down. We hooked it up to the projector. Yep. And I went, oh, this looks unlike every other streaming service I have. Good. And you had a live platform. And I, I don't know what it is, man, but it's been working for WWE. There's something about yeah. the idea that in other front rooms or other basements or attics, there are other weirdos watching this thing live. Like even, yes. if, even if you can prove it. Yeah. And um, now I, I love live, right? I, I'll tell you, I didn't watch any of it. And it's only because when you clicked on like, here's uh, an interview, you had a bunch of great um content we did we got really lucky yeah we we really did we had some amazing stuff this year now i didn't watch any of it because you click it and again i had to download a browser right what were you doing uh, microsoft edge oh wow yeah was that that was it right i think there were two options available yeah it was safari and edge were were the were the primary two Okay, so and yeah, I think a lot of people thought that that Edge was a thing that we just chose because it had everything to do with Microsoft. If it didn't have the security that that it did, we wouldn't have gone with it either. We we you know we we kind of vetted those platforms one at a time, and we even had a lot of filmmakers like uh, a filmmaker who's a good friend of ours. Uh, I don't know if you guys know of Benson and Moorhead's work. I'm sure you do, but uh, they're they're. Their longtime producer, Dave Lawson, is a good friend of our festival and also a member of our board now. And Dave was early on. We were doing tests where we were like finding hackers <laughs> and trying to get them to steal movies off the platform, like doing our own little mini Microsoft heists to see if we could we could game the technology. And thank God it didn't work at any point. Uh, uh, but uh, it was it was kind of a, a fun little uh, little black op we did before the festival began. That's smart. Wow, that is amazing. I, I'm going to tell you, it warms my heart to know that that amount of energy went into it. Because yeah, we, I, me, me and Clark, we were sitting there, we're like, how the fuck is this not all going to be pirated? Yeah. And then I think even one of the films you were, you were streaming had a um, watermark on it. Now, that's the one, that's, a, it's, that, that's one exception where the, the person wanted to do that. And I gave them the right to do that. And I said, you can do this if you want. But if you do it, people are going to bitch about it. And they did it. <laughs> and people bitched about it. <laughs> and they've now subsequently said that they wish, and I won't say their name to call them out, but they now say, I wish we hadn't done that. The platform was secure enough. Dude, Chris, you're the best. And I'll tell you, we, <laughs> put on, we played it and uh, we went, wait, hold the fuck. We paused it. We all stood up together. <laughs> it's like, well, you kidding me a fucking watermark? I paid yeah. $30 for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, dude, it's fine. And you know, we we get a lot of screeners over here too. And part of the overlook thing is I bring in, you know, casual people or film fans out here and we, you know, watch movies together. And dude, you people who write for magazines will bitch about a watermark. Dude. Yeah. 
after five seconds, you it's, don't, it's, it's gone. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So no, you're not, it, uh, there's a major problem with that movie. If you're still dialed into that watermark after like the 10 minute mark, I would for say. Sure. Dude, so. No. Yeah. And again, what I was trying to do with the curation talk right now is just, you, yeah. you created an environment on the internet that felt like a corner. Like we're in this little corner of the internet. And that means a lot. It, it really does. Because, you know, hearing you mention Amazon Prime earlier, I, I just read an article yesterday about how there's now like multiple class action lawsuits uh, against Netflix because people know that there isn't really an algorithm there. It's just pushing their newest original piece of content. It's no longer a discovery tool. There is no curation happening there. And, and so I feel like Right now, when there is what the, the funny thing is, is actually now, I, and I've had phone calls with a number of film distributors b- at the beginning of the con- the pandemic, content was everywhere. Right now, everyone is starving for content, everyone's trying to buy anything that they can. And I honestly feel like it's a great time for indie filmmakers because they have as much power right now as they've had in years because that you know, Mad Maxian film drought is slowly working its way toward happening. Now, I don't think we'll ever run out because people are starting to do creative things even during the festival. I don't know if you guys watched it. We did a thing called the Pandemic Anthology that uh, a really terrific genre festival from Brazil challenged a bunch of filmmakers to make shorts in their home and they did this. Uh, And I, I think, you know, I don't think content will ever die, but I do think there's a moment right now where people get extra excited when an old guard or something like that comes out on Netflix because there isn't quite as much as there used to be. So I, I it's, it's, it's an interesting time. It really is. And you know, I, I say this as a person who my town only has AMC theaters. If AMC goes bankrupt, there go all the movie theaters in Chattanooga. And I, not to sound like an asshole because certainly I'm a Stubbs member when they're around, but I kind of want to <laughs> watch them die. I kind of want to see what it looks like if they fucking die. You know, because I think that when those ashes, you know, get rebuilt on that, whatever gets rebuilt on the top of those old ashed out foundations is going to be a lot healthier and a lot friendlier toward indie film and filmmakers. So I don't know. It's a, it's a cool time. And I'm despite all the, the craziness of the literal plague out there, I think this is one of the most interesting times for film and indie filmmakers that there's been in my lifetime. Wow, dude, Chris, that's some brave talk. I mean, when we, so I, I mean it quite literally. I canceled my D and D game. We <laughs> did our, we did our podcast around uh, the Chattanooga Film Fest, and we all just buckled down and crammed films in. That's and, awesome. Although I hate to hear you cancel D and D. We even make D and D a part of the festival every year. I'm a huge D and D fan. Cancel D and D. Yeah, I did. I didn't. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, what? No, I lied. You were gone on Saturday. Oh, it was just God. me on Saturday. You didn't cancel so shit. So D&D continued. Right. That's all I wanted to know. Everything is fine. <laughs> well, Chris, we've been playing for, uh, we've gone on seven years now with this one uh, campaign. That's so awesome. I love hearing that. That's so great. And, uh, yeah, I swear I thought I canceled. I guess I did. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> by the end of the weekend, I remember feeling tired, like I had been at a real film fest. <laughs> I, uh exhausted and i mean i'd been sitting on my fucking couch the whole time but yet i was worried and i sat and i was like fuck man is this what film's gonna be now and i mean we had a lot of fun because you know there's other people here and we could talk about the films and then we're lucky to be kind of tapped into a community and we could you know ask randy like dude you watch the beach house what'd you think and right 
I'm just, I'm worried that there's, you know, the solo uh, adventurer who's in his living room. And it's kind of, right. it reminds me of when I watched Unfriended in the theater. And uh, it's like, <laughs> dude, this movie was amazing. It feels like it's revolutionary. And I look around, it's empty. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what does it mean if I can't bounce these ideas or this energy off of people? And to hear you be like, burn AMC to the ground. I'm kind of, you know, you give me power there. Because I've been what? terrified of the prospect of losing theaters. Now, keep in mind that that's not me saying that I don't want theaters to go, that I want theaters to go away forever. I love theaters and I'm excited for them to come back. But no, I'm excited. Late, to come, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> you can me on that part, but just include this part too, uh, uh, where I <laughs> like, I, uh, I just, I definitely love movie theaters. I'm excited for them to come back when they do come back and it's safe. But right now, if a movie, if, if the theater opened up right now, uh, in Unhinged, for example, the Russell Crowe road, road Rage movie were the only option I had. And I thought, all right, am I going to roll the dice and risk my life to see Russell Crowe with Road Rage? Or am I going to give it a couple of weeks? My, I might now, might even as a person who knows that I love the movie theater more than anything, make the decision not to do that. And so I do think that that more what I'm saying than I want all multiplexes to burn to the ground is that what I want to happen at the other side of this rainbow is them to get a little smarter in the way that they're doing and presenting things. No, hundred percent. And I remember yeah. uh, when the pandemic was slowly starting to roll and we, we barely survived it. We our our film fest happened uh, 10 days oh, yeah. prior to a shutdown. Oh, wow. Much. We were right there at the end, and I remember uh, going to movies right there until the end. Oh, the last movie we saw was The Hunt. Yeah, and same, I, same, I exactly. Un- yeah, yeah, I had an uneasy feeling. I did you know? too, dude. We were in the lot. We were in the uh, food court of a mall, and uh, we were at a table. And this was a normal ritual for us. Every Thursday, we go see the new horror film. And I remember having conversations with, uh, you know, the people that do these reviews with us every week about if they let me hug them or not. Right. (laughs) And it's like, fuck, is this going to be the end? Like, and, (laughs) and, you know, I I mean, honestly, I'm an optimist, whether I like it or not. I am too. Yeah. (laughs) Chattanooga, man, you scared me. I was like, dude, this is fucking good. I feel like it's viable too. Yeah, I, I honestly, I went into it as a purist that never thought I would ever want a virtual event to, to happen. Even midway through the event, I was itching to do the next on the ground one. And then by the end of it all, I really felt like if I didn't at least make virtual events a part of our plan going forward, then I was missing out on a bunch of good people and, and missing out on the chance to grow our audience, uh, which is one of the most important things to me. And notice I say grow our audience and not our ticket sales, because obviously like you guys or anybody that's running a true labor of love film festival, if you're in it for money, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> so, <Dude>. you know, <laughs> yeah. Dude, Chris, let me tell you. Look at our return. I, uh, it's clear that yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at these, these sweet tax <laughs> bracket. Yeah. The only thing I can uh, I have to prove that we ran a film fest is debt, and <laughs> that's like, the, there, there's that. Yeah, dude, and all <laughs> there's so many. I'm, I'm so proud that the Bay Area film scene has like kind of maybe not acknowledged us, but they know we're there. And right. every now and then, people try and give us advice, and it's usually. Hey, open up your film programming. Don't just do this found footage horror thing. Not gonna or, happen. Or hey, charge more for tickets. You're not making any money. 
hey, charge more for submissions. And it's like, dude, the people that make these movies, they're usually playing ball in our field because they can't afford to make a movie. Yeah, man. There's a line in Rocky Horror Picture Show that I always think about uh, where uh, after Dr. Frankenfurter is show- is introducing Rocky to Brad and Janet for the first time. He asks Susan Sarandon's Janet what she thinks of him. She says, I don't like a man with too many muscles. And Dr. Frankenfurter says, I didn't build him for you. And I always <laughs> think about, I always think about, I didn't build him for you whenever anybody is like, why do you show so many horror movies? And I, I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, you know, well, honestly, if, if we were, if, Yeah. Dude, oh, I mean, horror in film as a business, we've always had like kind of two filmmakers. And one avenue is, you know, it's the most creative genre where you get a bunch of different technical aspects going on. And sure. The other is it tends to always make money. So you kind of right. get, you know, in the 80s, you got the dude driving a Ferrari who's picking up girls off the street, throwing them in a movie studio. And right. it's like, yeah, so we got we got scummy in our DNA. What kind of Ferrari though? That's a I, just, I don't know. I just <laughs> picked a car. That, I imagined a convertible of some kind, and I just yeah. That's fine. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, yeah, I don't money. It's I. So when Microsoft came in, was their pitch to you? Hey, Chris, we can make a lot of money. Not at all. In fact, their pitch was, and I think that's the other thing, when when people hear the name Microsoft, I think they imagine a world in which a million dollars was sunk into our festival. The fact is that they gave us zero dollars. What they did give us was Microsoft Teams so we could do our live events. And they brought in two partners, a company called MediaKind and a company called Avergent. Avergent handled all the ticketing. Uh, oh. Media Kind was like the 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 video host, and again, the Media Kind folks have worked with all the major studios and helped build Disney Plus and have this background in building these big streaming services. But it, it was one of those things where there wasn't necessarily any money on the table, but there were a few things that we could use that if we lashed all those technologies together, we would be able to have a festival. But the onus still fell on me to fund everything else that needed funding. And essentially, because so many films washed out from the on the ground version, basically, we had six weeks, I I take a whole year to raise the money and put together the programming to make CFF happen. And literally, the pandemic, the lockdown happened on the day we were about to announce our first wave of programming for the on the ground event. And so it was basically like tearing up my baby and having six weeks to put a new one together from scratch. But thank God all those people on the Microsoft end had their wits about them. And they did the same thing as I did. They were, you know, it was like three or four in the morning and we'd be up working and talking to each other. So there was an insane scramble that went into, you know, making it happen that fast. And all those people like were, were ride or die with us. They didn't go anywhere. But that being said, us doing a, a festival with Microsoft this year doesn't mean that we're set for life or that every subsequent year is paid for. But it does mean that uh, obviously people return my emails a little quicker if I can include that I'm working with Microsoft than they might have if I, if I didn't. But I also feel like I'm seeing just as many responses where people are now giving me my own credibility because like you guys, they attended the event and they had a, a positive experience. So it's, yeah. it's been nuts, man. Yeah. So w- you're talking about partnerships that came through, which anybody listening... If you enjoy Film Fest and you want to like help out, reach out to the people running it 
because we can sure. use the fucking help. There's and no question, be- man. But, you know, volunteers are, are, are how we build this. Our entire team is volunteer based. None of us, including myself, take a salary. This basically runs on its own gas. That That's how it works. Wow, you could take a salary? That's an option? <laughs> well, well, you know, uh, it's one of those things where my board, God bless them, have voted to make sure that I didn't have to. And, you know, at my height of this, I've, I've done every shitty odd job I could just to make sure I had the ability to eat while I focused largely on the film festival to my own detriment. So it's like I literally had a ditch digging job like two years ago. <laughs> so I would be like <laughs> taking programming calls while I was like muting my phone, digging a fucking thousand foot trench. So it's, it's one of those things that, uh, I, you know, I I've never really thought about it as a way to make money. I've always just thought about it as a thing that my city desperately needed because, you know, I moved back to Chattanooga after having grown up here about 10 years ago or so when I moved back, there was no independent film, nothing genre related at all. We'd be lucky if there was like a revival screening of the King's speech that a bunch of like 75 year olds who (laughs) fell asleep and snored during the screening went to. So it's just, there, there wasn't anything like this. And it be, it was born as much out of me. Like if I was going to live in Chattanooga, I didn't want to just bitch about the things that I didn't get to see here. I wanted to try to figure out a way to, to install that, to make it real, even if it meant, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a financial detriment to myself. And maybe that's a dumb decision to make, but I don't regret it yet. Damn dude. I, I can't express how cool it is that you're a dude who's digging ditches while trying to build a film fest because it didn't feel that cool. (laughs) How cool is it? How cool is it when you have a dude who's a tech guy and you know, I'm, I'm generalizing because you know, uh, a lot of us, the ditch diggers don't like the tech industry, especially out here in San Francisco where it's kind of like, you know, yeah. The thing is it's the image that comes into my head. I imagine There's a dude no who has an right, easy job at a computer. And, you know, I don't know if it's easy. It might be really hard. But they're right. just, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm doing my tech thing and I got a ton of money. So, yeah, I'll do a film fest. Like, that's the attitude. Right. Where now I have an image of you, like, digging graves with a Bluetooth in your ear. And you're talking to Microsoft. In, in your version, I can afford a Bluetooth and I'm not using a barely functioning pair of iPod. <laughs> like you know not not airpods but like the shitty connected ones where like the right side doesn't work so like <laughs> it's, uh, it was uh you know and that's the side with the microphone so i'm constantly having to like s- switch back and forth so yeah well, it's uh, were, i hope they provided you a shovel and we're not digging ditches with our hands they actually for the job that i had they don't even give you a full shovel they give you what's called a trench shovel which is just like someone cut a shovel in half and said here use this it'll be harder <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> fuck dude that's okay um i got off topic there i'm super <laughs> curious how how you pulled together the website now with the microsoft help did they did they bring in somebody that designed it for you or are you just good at everything no i i have a a, a graphic designer named travis knight that is my just dear, dear friend. So, so full disclosure, when, when Chattanooga Film Festival started up, before we were a film festival, we were a pop-up movie theater. A lot, a lot like you guys do with your Bay Area screenings. We were just any bar, restaurant, warehouse, any room in town we could do a screening that was cool, we would make screenings happen. And Travis is a guy that I was doing these nights where I would have a band open up for a movie and everything was themed. So I had, at the time, the band Priests opening up for the film, Here Comes the Devil. 
And I had seen this dude's art style and it was just so metal and evil seeming that I just basically sent him a fan letter and he did our poster for it. The poster turned out amazing. He came to the screening and has been just a dear friend of mine ever since. And Travis is one of those guys that every year as I'm, you know, building what the film festival looks like in my brain, I just kind of start sharing my notes with him and he starts building this incredible branding and poster art around it. And it's always something that I love. And I never really give him much direction other than just let him know what I'm thinking. And so this year we were doing this on the ground anyway. And this is something that I hope to do when we do get to do a non-virtual event. But we were going to do this whole salute to William Castle. And a huge part of that was recreating three of his major... You know, and I'm sure you guys are William Castle fans or at least familiar with him. We were going to do the Tingler where you actually got tingled. We were going to do you know, House on Haunted Hill where the skeletons actually emerged during the screen, all this stuff. And Travis was kind of building all of our art style around William Castle. And when that stuff wasn't going to happen anymore, Travis basically, just like me, had six weeks to build a whole new identity around the festival. And I really think he rose to the challenge and he did it. So I'm glad to hear that you guys even took note of something like that, because that's one of those things like you, you, you know it yourselves, you know, behind the scenes, there's these tiny little decisions that you agonize about that wind up taking so much manpower. And then the front facing side of things, people don't really notice them or take that much, you know, it's, you know, it, you know it's, I, I think a lot of people always look for like the cognitive payoff, like the shit that people will talk about or think about right. where the interface is kind of the, you know, it's the ground floor of your culture without sure. like an interesting or like unique look. What's to separate you from like, I don't know, um, uh, squares, uh, template where you just I, like, I completely like, agree. And that, that's one of the things that early on, even starting out the festival was like, look, if we get some branding, that makes it look like this festival has existed for 50 years and that it actually knows what it's doing. That's going to help us in and of itself. And so our very first logo, in fact, it's still our logo. It's like we have a very iconic aquarium building in the downtown area of Chattanooga. And we had an artist turn that building into a super eight camera. It's actually this artist, Tai Yi Ye, who I have to give some love to, because this is the dude who did the poster for the dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan dark Knight. did the logo for true blood is a very amazing artist that could have charged us thousands and thousands of dollars. And again, how he came on board to do our logo was a fan letter. I had written this guy, uh, the geekiest of letters telling him how much I loved his work, how much I appreciated, you know, even the, the, the typefaces and fonts that he had created. And he wrote back and was like, all right, man, what do you got? Let's collaborate on something. And so that's the other side of this that people ask me for advice on how to run a festival. My only bullshit advice, because I've been pulling this out of my ass and coming up with it as I go along, is like, be a fan still. Be earnest. Let people know you care about their work. And if you're being positive and earnest toward them, especially with tools like Twitter, which seems like Twitter means that I can send William Sadler, the, the, who I think is one of the greatest character actors on earth, a direct message and get him to come out to my festival. Or, you know, it's, it's made the world so much more accessible uh, for, for people who run festivals and programmers and things like that. So it's like, I always like encourage people to reach out to people, even if they don't think they're going to write back figure it out, you know, get in touch with them. And, and that's how so much stuff has happened for us. All right. So Chris, I want to play a little point counterpoint here with sure. the whole, uh, cause you, Chris, you've done an excellent job and you've almost convinced me that online <laughs> is the way to go. However, and I'm speaking, speaking 
at, at this juncture, primarily um, as a programmer. For me, uh, that a lot of the the juice I get from the film festival is in the programming aspect, and then uh, yeah. being able to display those films and uh, with the intros and whatnot, and then sharing that journey with the audience. Who um, and the way that we program is that uh, we, we we did four days this year, uh, but right. two days was the bulk, and we had God. How many? How many slots like in two 14 days? Fourteen or something. Four, yeah. I, no, I think we 14. had sixteen time slots in two days. We okay. had eight and eight, and it was important to note that we only had one screen. Right, God, I feel your pain on that. I really and do. Our, yeah. And our breaks were ten minutes. A movie ends, you've got ten minutes, and we're starting the next one. So it really is a communal thing that we've tried to build. That yeah. and, and and obviously, you know, you can't recreate that online, but how? Have you thought about how you can do that? Because again, it's a part of the, with the programming is that we try to, and separate, we try to pair the films and even the shorts uh, have some sort of theme with the, the short and the feature together. And then also even per day, you know, Saturday, I I think was a more genre heavy day. And then Sunday was more exploration, you know, it's it those things are very important and we try to share the journey with the audience on that end and what's the best way to recreate that uh through an online fest you know man i i'm i really love this question because one of the things that our our first draft of the virtual festival looked like us essentially having one screen and a live schedule which meant that if you were tuning into our stream you would be watching whatever movie was on the schedule at that time And then I started to think, all right, well, if I'm going to have a virtual event, I need to challenge myself to make that virtual event do things differently and better than I can do on the ground, right? And as a person who, I like you guys, I started out on one screen. At our height, we've had three screens. But keep in mind, that third screen was like, I had another room that I could kind of retrofit and turn into a theater. And it wasn't the most ideal decision. It was just me wanting to cram more movies into our schedule and find a way to make more fit. So it probably shouldn't have been turned into a theater in retrospect. But so one of the things that, that I, after every festival, and I'm sure you guys do the same thing, we send out a little survey that's like, how did we do? What did you like? What did you hate? And the number one thing people have said to me over the years that they hated was how many hard choices they had to make. Because again, primarily I have two screens and I do try to counter program. Like if I've got a drama on one screen, I'll put a horror film on the other. But the thing about it is, is over the years, we've built an audience that are so open-minded that there isn't really counter programming for them. They like every kind of movie. So it's, I can't put anything across from anything else without them still having to make a hard choice and basically maybe having to miss one or two things that they would have loved to see. And that's kind of how the cookie has crumbled for film festivals for years. It's always been like, if I go to Fantastic Fest or something, the one movie I was dying to see is the movie that's scheduled right after my flight leaves or something like that. So how are we going to take that problem that festivals have, those hard choices that people make, and make it more democratic and accessible? And my thought was there, okay, we want to have this live feed so there's an interactive stream that people can be a part of. We even had these like filmmaker digital green rooms on Zoom where all the short filmmakers were like 28 or more filmmakers were on a Zoom call all getting to know each other like they would on our green room on the ground here. But 
the other side of it was we wanted to make all the movies, even though we could have done them live and, you know, encourage people to tune in for them. That would have meant I had to build this massive, confusing schedule, even for myself, or I could let people watch them on demand and choose their own adventure and have one live stream, one live component. And the result of that is now, okay, the one big casualty of this, and you mentioned with your short films, we try to do short film blocks and the blocks are thematic. It's like a mixtape where everything is kind of sequenced. It all leads into the next thing. There's a lot of care put between them. And that's the thing that I love doing. And we still had the shorts arranged in blocks, but what wound up happening was people would, would give themselves a short film appetizer before they watch the feature. And because the way that the, the platform worked allowed us to kind of break a short block into either being watched continuously or you could choose to watch them one at a time, we had people kind of making their own little pair-ups. And as a result, every bit of feedback we got from short filmmakers was them telling us things like, dude, my film has been out and on the festival circuit for two years. And in one weekend, we were logged more times on Letterboxd. There's more tweets about us than there has been in two years on the festival circuit. And then we got to looking into that. We realized that, well, most festivals, if, if you're a short filmmaker, if you're lucky, that short block runs once or twice. Your movie's maybe able to be screened once or twice over the whole course of that festival. Whereas now, these short filmmakers and even feature filmmakers were seeing their work, you know, watched hundreds or even thousands of times over a weekend. So again, that was a thing that if at the end of the day, I really give a shit if my reason for being here is the filmmakers, that's something that I had to take into account, if that makes sense. Damn, man. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I literally am taking notes as you talk. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know that anything I, I say is worth noting, but uh, if, if you need the no, cliff dude, notes the distilled version about? of it, I'm happy to. The, yeah. the proof is in the fucking pudding, dude. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're hearing, you shout it into the void and it's shouting back at you. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's, it's, it's weird to hear from the void. I have to tell you, it's been seven years with total quiet from the void up to this point. Now, I'll tell you, as somebody who was against Letterboxd for, uh, I say against, I just didn't have I, I was the same way, dude. And now I like it. Uh, it's weird. It really, I had a total sea change. It was like, great. Here's another forum for people to bash movies. And now I feel like it's kind of overtaking IMDb for me. Dude. Amazon owns IMDb. They've run it into the ground like they did Letterboxd. It doesn't feel like anything but a way for them to push their products now. And Letterboxd is quietly becoming this place where I can find a lot of that information. And so it's where I'm going. And we're at Chattanooga Film Festival. We pay for that patron level and it takes all the ads out of it. And it is a genuinely magical experience having an ad-free you know, <laughs> session on something like that. I love it. Dude, also, it occurred to me when I was watching movies here, and I myself was going on Letterboxd and reviewing short films, which I'd never done. That's so awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. In a theater, there's a stigma against being on the phone. And you know what? I'm one of those. I perpetuate it. I, yeah. I'm the one that will glare at people. Get the fuck off your phone. It's I, like, I am the same way, man. I can't fucking deal with it. I really can't. Yeah. Again, like, well, so let's look back. It's like we're in church, right? And people are disrespecting the, the gospel. And we're like, yeah. get the fuck off your phone. But you've been in church like three times in your life. I go to church <laughs> once a week, okay? It's just not on Sunday. Okay. And right. thinking back, like, why? what is the pressure coming from? And it's the idea that people are not paying attention to the movie. Now, this yep. was another problem, I thought. This is another reason why we were so against Online Film Fest, because I always try to paint this picture on the podcast. 
of the regular Netflix viewer who right. didn't understand the, the found footage film that we're uh, propelling and we love because right. you know they got ramen cooking in the next room. Right. So it's like when you're when you're watching a found footage movie, it's so important that you pay attention to the narrative and the camera cuts are, you know, that's a character and it's telling you the story. And how are you going to know when you walk in the next room and you're checking the microwave? Yet, right. yet because of the weight you gave your programming, just by the the interface of the the website or you know all the live stream, like it felt like this weekend you have this streaming service and then it's gone. So right. It demanded attention. And I found that, you know, I wasn't taking bathroom breaks. I wasn't even wow. bothering <laughs> I'm both sorry to hear that and also that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it certainly didn't want to create any uncomfortable bathroom situations for someone. But for us, it's been like, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys who do pop-up screenings. It's like, we've always had this challenge of like almost approaching, you know, movies and their exhibition, like a punk rock show. Like it's one night only this band is coming through town and if you miss them, they're gone. And so we had the option of keeping the festival up a lot longer or even doing like a dumb month long thing like that Amazon South by thing. And it just felt to me, if people had a whole month, there wouldn't be demand around it. It yep. had to be a thing a happening for a weekend. And so I also tried to mirror as closely as I could our structure on the ground. It's like, you guys say you do four days, we do four days. So it's like, I wanted it to be four days. But the other side of that is like, typically on our kickoff day, we don't start until 5 p.m., which is a Thursday. It's a work day. People are, you know, at work nine to five. So that was a thing that I wasn't going to do anymore. Like on Thursday, on kickoff day, if you wanted to get on at 8 a.m. and start watching, you could do it. Or if you wanted to continue watching post midnight, uh, which is, you know, our, our, our final movies of the night are typically around 1130 or midnight. So it's like we had people watching stuff all hours. Like we had a lady named Michelle Swope who, you know, if you, if you look at like the numbers of what people were watching, it'd be like four in the morning and she would just be like, all right, just one more movie, like just cramming in <laughs> something else. So I just, I love that. I really like, you know, e even though it wasn't all you eat buffet, it having a finite amount of time created some, you know, kind of lit a fire under people's ass and people consumed so much stuff. It was awesome. And I'm seeing people who might've seen four or five movies and gone to some parties at an on the ground festival watching 18 features. Now I kind of love that as a programmer. Like, you know, I, I always, I, I program these parties and I put these parties together too, because I do believe the social and the mixing aspect and the networking aspect of festivals are important as well. But I also quietly resent anyone who tells me, yeah, I came to your festival last year. All I did was go to the party. <laughs> so it's like, this, this felt like me getting my revenge there a little bit as a program. So Randy, I know we were going to throw it to you at some point and try and pressure you to say something. And I think <laughs> this is a perfect opportunity as uh, for up to the unnamed footage festival year two, Randy only showed up for the party. <laughs> Randy, uh, Randy that, is this true? <laughs> yeah, uh, no. This is true. I had a work <laughs> obligation that I literally could not get out of. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but this work obligations are the only two words you had to say to get off the hook with me on that. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, Chris, he's not digging trenches, dude. He's out there. He's got a white collar on. Uh, well, you know what? If if you have the life skills to get a white collar job, I encourage you to do so. I uh, high school <laughs> and then film school. I, I have no skills. Uh, uh, you know, Randy. if you want to talk about the, the Tremors franchise in depth, that's my skill set. But as it turns <laughs> out, people aren't really hiring for that. So <laughs> unless you guys know somebody, in which case you please give them my email when this is over. So Microsoft is calling you. You don't need our help. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs>
Yeah, Randy, you got anything for the man? I feel like I cut you off earlier, and I felt bad. It's been lingering. Well, also, uh, Randy watched more than any of us. Randy killed it. That's and, so awesome. And Randy yeah. and I got to have a nice little chat when you guys got kicked off earlier. So we went, we went <laughs> yeah. on some stuff that may find its way into the episode that even you guys haven't heard yet. So. Right? That's true. Um, no, but to, to speak to your uh, like all-you-can-eat buffet element of the online festival, I am a, a very early riser. Yeah, so I was that's one awesome. Of people... Morning. Uh, I think Saturday. Advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday morning was like the morning I found out about it. It was like 7 a.m. And I, I'd wanted to see Jumbo oh, and someone awesome. on Letterboxd yeah. logged Jumbo and it said Chattanooga Film Fest. So I like started it at like 7.30 and I was up till like 10 or 11 p.m. Just like watching That's movies so the whole awesome. day. And, uh, r- real quick. Did you like Jumbo? <laughs> I, I did. Yeah. I was, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. That's the movie I fought the hardest for this year. So it's like it won our nice. audience award and it warms my heart whenever I hear anybody say that they made a point to watch it. I think it's awesome. So oh, really? yeah. uh, uh, Jumbo yeah. was the hill that you were going to die on. Well, it's one of those things that I had, I had started, I saw it right out of Sundance, fell in love with it and started fighting for it and lost it for our on the ground edition. And then magically we started working with this incredible uh, new distributor that I encourage you to, to seek out if you haven't yet. They're called dark star. And these sure. guys talk about curators. Everything they're putting out is incredible. Uh, and uh, they got the rights to it. And we were already showing a number of their other films. And even though they just acquired it, they busted their asses to make sure we got to include it. So it's kind of like a little Christmas miracle that it got to happen because we had it, lost it, lost it, had it. It's one of those things that uh, I'm sure you guys have those similar stories. Like you make your your wish list of all the movies you dream will be a part of your festival lineup every year. And you watch as most of them go away. And by the end, you're lucky if you get four or five films. Maybe it's not like that for larger festivals, but it certainly is for, for us little guys. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I feel like, you know, we always have that every year of like either Russ or myself um, or, yeah. or Matt, one of our other programmers. We always have that one movie that we're going to fight for. The White Whale. Yeah, sure enough. Yeah, I had that this year where uh, I finally, after three years, I finally insisted that we show a faith-based found footage film called The Lock-In. <laughs> and uh, we closed out uh, Saturday. Did it take place at a church lock-in? Because I am way into that idea. That's kind of a magical idea. <laughs> it did. It, it is. It is a church lock-in uh, where um, if you look at pornography, you will be possessed by Satan. Oh, I love it. I'm on board and for that. The entire film is on YouTube. <laughs> and we I, had I'm, to. Yeah, we illegally showed it because the filmmaker wanted nothing <laughs> to do with us. And we we're like, well, hilarious. we're going to do it anyway. But yeah, uh, no, uh, Russ had to run to the restroom. So Chris was just talking about how Jumbo was sort of the uh, film that he was he wanted to fight for. Oh, and it won the audience award it did, too. Yeah, it, it did. Yeah, uh, it's I every year the movie that wins our audience award is something that is like for the last six years has been something that has been like my one like if I if I'm programming this this festival I'm always considering what my audience loves first. But there's always one movie every year that I'm like, this one's for me, motherfuckers. And like for the last six years, the audience award winner has been that thing that I've kind of chosen for myself. And I secretly really love that. I think it really feels like there is that there's good give and take between me and our audience. I hope I hope that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, Jumbo, I remember, I think that was my walkaway favorite, maybe. Awesome. That's so great to hear. Yeah. My favorite was a short. Yeah. I will talk what about that in a minute. Short. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Wait. 
So Jumbo, I have to tell you, just because you did the D&D live thing, clearly you have some uh, interaction with the tabletop game. Yeah. Okay. You helped me by programming Jumbo. You helped me illustrate one of the characters currently in our game. I have a girl who might be on the spectrum, and she has an right. unhealthy relationship with a talking sword. And I was like, right. I have a Jumbo is like, dude, this is the perfect way to illustrate this character. And so you, you know, who knows how these films like interact with people? But Jumbo yeah. is something that I carry with me all the time. And That's once so a week, great to hear, dude. How? And we looked up the real. The real story on a uh, oh, YouTube? Couldn't oh yeah, yeah, it's nuts. It's not, not as glamorous. No, <laughs> not, not, not <laughs> real. Glamorous. Too real. Yeah, and again, now the short film that kind of now the, I will close with. Uh, I want to say my favorite feature. I okay, Co- Coco D Coco Day is still stuck in uh, my head. So it's thank you awesome, that. isn't it? It's so great. I'm, I absolutely love it. That was that was in the one of my my personal favorites as well this year. Now. Chris, how long can we chat with you? I realized we've run. No, no, you guys are good. I, uh, I kind of blocked out uh, uh, some time. So you just let me know. I don't know how long your normal episodes are. So, uh, well, dude, I I have all these questions written down and yeah, get get to them. I'm briefly, I'd like to talk to you. So you're talking about how you, um, program drama film. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell are, you, are we talking about? Like Barbara Streisand, or do you mean something like jumbo? Like, is it all genre? Well, I would say like dirty God. Yeah, yeah, that still feels like kind of oh. art house. Like, yeah, it, it is. But that being said, we've we've all had a lot of good luck with art house stuff over the years too. Anything that's challenging, like we showed the tribe. I don't know if you've seen the tribe. It's all in, in sign language. Yeah. Love the tribe. Very interesting movie. I'd consider that movie a drama, but I also think there's something about it that transcends it just being like a normal Sundance, you know. And, and, and you know, when I, when I say movies like that, I also love a lot of dramas, but. I, I tend to think of those like fluffy, you know, King's speech, English patient, you know, and again, I don't hate those movies, but that's not what I reach for first. You know, I, I'm not going to rewatch Michael Collins anytime soon, you, you know, like <laughs> that, that, that kind of thing. And, and so I, I don't necessarily avoid it in the programming, but I also don't favor it. Uh, but that being said, by naming myself the Chattanooga Film Festival and not calling myself like Chattanooga Horror Film Festival or Chattanooga Underground or anything like that, I've avoided being put into any, you know, stylistic corner. I haven't painted myself into any corner where if there is a year where five unbelievable romantic comedies come out that I'm not going to program, I'm going to program, them. you know, so it's yeah. like, I want to be able to do whatever I want year to year. And as film is always changing. And as we might have a year, like a couple years ago, there was a year where a couple of, I think it was the keeping room and slow West, uh, which a 24 and at the time draft house films put out, like that was a good year for Westerns for modern Westerns. And you guys know, as well as I do, there aren't very many modern Westerns happening right now. No. So it's like, to to have the freedom to to be able to do whatever I want programming is what matters to me the most. But I'm also not focusing on those, you know, the movies that I think are the big tent poles for festivals like like Sundance, for example. That that's not quite what I am. What I'm more interested in is what they're doing at their at their midnighters, you know? Uh that that feels a little more in line with me personally and also what what I feel like my audience like to watch. So I don't know. We did. As your yeah. as a member of your audience online, right. <laughs> you had exactly what I wanted to watch. Good. Now, I, will, I will tell you, I went out of my way to 
avoid any of your retro programming. Now, not sure. because I dislike retro programming, but mostly because I had just ordered most of these movies from Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that you'd ordered the movies from Vinegar Syndrome. We love those guys. That that was literally about us uh, having a very funny conversation with them where we all kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know how old you guys are or if you grew up with USA Up All Night, like, the, like I oh, did. Yeah. It was Friday... Friday night, I knew I could tune in and either Rhonda Shear or Gilbert Gottfried would take me through a bunch of genre films. And we just started to talk about how much we loved USA Up All Night and wanting to do some sort of like a, a, a slumber party, like a pajama party for the night owls that we knew would be out there for this thing. And so we did that. We put a death metal show on. Like one of the absolute highlights of this experience for me was like watching how many shit tons of people watched a live death metal show that got pumped <laughs> into their houses. Like it's just weird. It felt like we were doing like the dark Lord's work on this one. So like, I, I, I really loved like, so for, and I, I, I find a lot of people saying that, you know, even though the repertory programming was cool, that was the thing I knew I could get my hands on after the festival. So I didn't gravitate toward it as much. And I completely understand that. Uh, but yeah, it's, if you're a vinegar syndrome fan, it's, it's, those are, those are movies well worth having on disc anyway. So did you work with them when you, when you, selected yes. okay, absolutely. We love those guys. We had done a pop-up shop with them on the ground here in Chattanooga not long before the festival. And we had already kind of been putting our heads together about what we could do something special wise uh, for the actual on the ground festival. And we were going to try to do this, like, you know, physical media rodeo, like kind of a movie swap meet thing. And it just didn't get a chance to materialize. So that's kind of that vinegar syndrome up all night, pajama party thing that we did was kind of what, what, what our version two of that looked like. Dude, I'm man. I love it. This, it, you know, for the retro programming was dolls, a part of that programming. No, no, not okay, this year. Why was I thinking that I'm like on your site looking and I'm like, because it's a shirt you wear twice a week. Yeah, I know. Right? Uh, God, I love dolls, man. It's right up there for me with my favorite Stuart Gordon movie. So that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Also, just so you know, um, we all love Dementor here. And uh, uh, Chad is a, is a wonderful human being, too. That director is absolutely amazing. So, yeah, we got him on the show and we talked to him. That's thanks to you, Chris. Thank you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Chad is just, just an awesome dude. Chad's the kind of guy that... Uh, as soon as the festival was over, wrote me the most heartfelt, like it had been the most insane scramble, the most incredibly hard six weeks to get this all together. And Chad is like the dude who sent the email that finally just sent me over the emotional edge after it was over and made me realize that it had been real. I just love that dude. And I, I was really excited to have a chance to share a Dementor. And honestly, my relationship with that dude goes way back to our pop-up days. Jug Face was a movie that early on we got a chance to show and it was really fun. Uh, I, I love that dude. I'm so glad you talked to him. I got to dig that episode up. Now, okay, I have to ask you a question. Sure. Dement Dementor, that's, that's a tough film. And it I is a like, very tough film. And I mean, it, I, I think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think it's powerful. But I also think, ooh, man, it's got some uh, chewy characters in there. And it's, you know, you could be tackling uh, some moral dilemmas internally after watching this movie. There's no so, question. It's a perfect movie for a film fest because then, you know, I'm crying and I leave the theater and Chris, you see me and you run up and you hold my hand and there's plenty to talk about. Yeah. You can, you can work me through it. And I'm like, right. but is it exploitation? What's going on here? Is our protagonist a good guy or a bad guy? And right. you can be there. 
Now, on the internet end, after watching that movie, I was just, it's beautiful. My next thought, oh my God, somebody who was not prepared, like, were you ever worried that somebody would jump into this movie and just have the wrong impression? I was uh, not worried because I knew for a fact. Okay, so one of the important things about Dementor, I think, is it's almost a movie that that it benefits from the festival setting in a, in a big way, like you're saying, because typically before festival screenings, you get to see a filmmaker give you an introduction or you get more context for them. And I think even in our write-up of the movie, we had given some folks some context for why it was special or why you know uh the 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 film's lead uh the you know the little girl is chad's real life sister so chad is actually you know very uniquely even put this movie together and it was one of those things that i wasn't afraid of it because i know how willing uh, how good a guy chad is and how willing he would be to discuss anybody that might have approached the movie that way and so if i had seen a conversation like that happen I think all it would have taken to put an end to it is literally put that person in touch with Chad who would have been all too happy to to talk to him about his movie and they would have left having that special context. So that was one of those things where I'm never trying to push someone's buttons just to push them or traumatize somebody with what I do, but I'm also not afraid of making a hard choice programming wise. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie hard to be a God, but it's three hours, it's black and white and it is bleak as hell. But it's also this just Terry Gilliam-esque, bizarre time travel, like sci-fi fucked up epic that I knew that maybe seven people were going to watch that screening, but maybe two of them might get their life changed by it. <laughs> like, like, And that's what happened. Those two people write me every year and remind me how much they loved Hard to Be a God and thank me for introducing it to them. We've stayed in touch because of that movie. And there's at least one or two choices I make every year that might not be for that mass audience. It might be for the two people that really love it and appreciate it. And I'm, I'm proud to say with Dementor that the number of people who've told me they've loved it or appreciated it is it now with you guys telling me that number is getting bigger and bigger. It's a, it's a movie that at an on the ground festival, that screening might, might've been attended by not that many people, but uh, as a virtual event, more people got had the time to take a chance on that movie. And I felt like, it actually was doing more right by it than I even would have been had I programmed it on the ground. And to, to be clear, I was, that was a film that was in our on the ground edition that made it to our virtual event because Chad is the kind of dude that was along for the ride with us instantly. He trusted us with his baby and he let us do it. Man, that Chad knows how to write a complicated female protagonist. And he sure does. Dude. I mean, you know, um, Dementor kind of falls more uh, visually in line with like a Harmony Corinne kind of film. Like, like right. it, it's got like the bitter taste of reality in it. And Jugface has that kind of like new shutter film where it's, it feels like a horror movie. We're definitely in a weird genre thing. And yet both of those leads are very tough to grip with. I, yeah. I'm so glad you gave him a platform. He's such a cool Man. dude and an interesting filmmaker. Now, again, Chad, we love you, but <laughs> we got to we got to tell you about the short film. And um, so we, me personally, I like to prop up every subgenre that people just hate because I yeah. am a, uh, I am a, a contrarian at heart, I guess. 
So I am too, I think. And that's why I, again, I salute you for the found footage thing. (laughs) I think it's one of those things that if anybody out there anywhere is going to shit on an entire genre or subgenre, uh, then they probably haven't necessarily sat down in front of what represents the best of that genre or subgenre. So like to find something that's divisive, like found footage and curate it and let people know that it can be done right is a thing I respect the hell out of because legitimately some of my favorite films, not just my favorite horror films, but my favorite films ever have been found footage films. Like, and I also can't even tell you, like I had a damn near religious experience the first time I watched record. Like, I just think that's a a perfect movie. And, and, uh, I, I don't, I don't share that disdain for found footage that I've seen a lot of people have. And so over the years myself, when I, when I've had the opportunity to, to program a found footage film, I've always done it. And I, I love the subgenre. So I I'm, I'm with you. Like I try to champion anything that I think is marginalized as much as I can. Now, can you, can you take a guess at the other subgenre I'm about to pivot into? That's just mostly disrespected or saw. No, it? I can't. What do you got? Ooh, we're, we're going. Uh, we're going into <laughs> the uh, the deep woods of the fantasy genre. Oh, now, I love that! Yeah, dude, fantasy films. You know, people love them. The people that love them, I think the image that's conjured up is an oily European bodybuilder in a thong. Oh, which, right. You know, <laughs> you just named your dream version of yourself. Go ahead. It, it you know, again, you know, uh, Chris mentioned it earlier. Dudes work out not for women. Bodybuilding right. yeah. not you're not getting a girlfriend. And you want to be Arnold. It, it's because right. I'm so insecure in my heart. <laughs> um, now, Chris. So, Clark, Clark over here okay. does not like animated films. He doesn't like fantasy films. He not always true. yells at me whenever I try to put him on. And I was like, "Dude, we got to watch this movie. It's called The Haunted Swordsman." And he, oh went, my oh, god, that's awesome, dude. And he was like, "Are you kidding me?" I'm like, "It's short, dude. Let's just jump into it." And I'll tell you, this is not true. It kicks off in the first minute. I went, dude, is that a fucking puppet? And he went, no, it's not. And he looks up from his phone because he's already checked out. He hates the fucking this film. Is, we're, 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 I think no. He was on Letterboxd already this giving it a one This is not how this went down. <laughs> and then the minute, the minute the craft reared its head over that cliff, dude. It, yeah. it was so fucking good. You know that it's I amazing. like the samurai pictures. Thank you very much. <laughs> I did not put this under the fantasy uh, umbrella as, as the samurai will supersede that. Because <laughs> I have respect <laughs> that, for the samurai. I yeah, but when a talking soul reared its ugly head, how did I you... Was, that was great. No, this, <laughs> this is one of my favorite things. Uh, this yeah. was absolutely incredible. And uh, uh, one of the taking away uh, things that I'll have from the weekend is the haunted source. Dude, oh, it's awesome. I how, and how, like, you know, you that features about that movie showing up on your radar. So actually, that's a movie that I love so much. I programmed it twice. So we oh. do a, a a horror festival every October. That's like I get really de- like that postpartum. Like CFF is gone. My baby is dead. Depression after the festival every April and doing another event because I'm such a horror fan and I love Halloween and I love October is a, is a big thing for me. So we do a little, usually one or two day long festival called the frightening ass film festival every October. And we had done one this year and Kevin McTurk, who I don't know if you saw his last short, which also has puppets. Uh, it's the, the, the mill at, at, at uh, Calder's Inn. It's really like Lovecrafty and beautiful and, and also predates the lighthouse and being a weird, creepy story told in a lighthouse, like really, really great. That's a guy whose whose work had been on my radar forever, and 
the haunted swordsman's a project that I, you know, donated some money to the Kickstarter and I've been following. And so we had a chance to show it first back in October and it just kicked the ass of everyone in that room. Like you could just feel a palpable sense of like everybody excited after it ended. And so it was one of those things that it won best short at that festival, that, that horror fest and anything that wins best film or best short at that festival to give our audience another chance to see it. I always carry it into the, to the Chattanooga film festival proper. And so I knew that it had kicked ass there and I knew it would kick ass again. And Kevin's a guy that's, that's worked with Weta, uh, you know, has this incredible background in, in visual effects, but as a filmmaker himself, I think is like a force to be reckoned with, man. And like you watch that thing and it's like this, like, it feels like a Kurosawa film meets fucking dark crystal or something. And I'm so excited that that's, that's part of a, a forthcoming feature. Yeah. I think you guys know about that, but the spirit cabinet, uh, uh, that's no. the, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's that's one of uh, I I could be wrong. It's either a trilogy or a quartet of shorts that are all being created in that universe, all with puppets, all with samurais, uh, called the Spirit Cabinet, and that's Kevin's big project huh. right now. And I can't wait to to watch it come to fruition. I think that dude is just one of the most interesting talents out there right now. Incredible, man! I'll tell you, watching. I'm so glad that we got to project that film. Yeah. Okay. Oh. When demons show up or any new <laughs> character just starts talking, it's like jaw dropping. It's so it's fucking nuts. beautiful. Is is it available anywhere? Can people watch? Not n- not yet because I think that it will be one of the shorts in okay. the spirit cabinet, and so they're going to hold on to it until it becomes part of that feature. But I also have every reason to believe that Kevin will, as the other films in uh, in the anthology are made also allow those to tour the festival circuit before the feature happens because obviously you know puppetry and even designing the world that it takes place in the production has a lot more runway than than your average indie production uh, but uh i uh I, I think that kevin's a guy that it, like i won't be at all surprised if within the next five years that dude and what he's doing makes him a household name like not at all yeah well, he's a name here <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> All right, well, Russ, you got anything else for Chris? I feel, I feel like I've already talked his ear off. You have? No, you guys are awesome. I really appreciate all the all the enthusiasm and the kind words. Like, it, it's nice to know uh, that I'm not doing this stuff in a vacuum. Like, uh, you know, wh- when you're creating something like this, you're in your little bubble and you create it. Like, it means the world to me to, like, hear that anybody out there in the world is responding to this at all, let alone devoting their whole weekends to it and watching so much cool stuff. So, like, honestly, thank you guys. I really appreciate you even wanting to, to let me gab about it. Because, you know, since the festival's over, you're actually the first podcast I've done. Like it's, uh, not that, not that, uh, that I'm refusing to talk to people or anything like that. It's just one of those things that like, you always go through your emotional journey with something. And I felt like this year was a victory, but you're some of the first people outside of email I've gotten to, to actually have a conversation with how, how it turned out, how it felt. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. I really, I appreciate it. That was, that was a half-assed way of me saying thank you. So yeah. dude, thank you. And yeah. 2021 are you going to have an internet component or are we going to have to fly out to tennessee i hope we'll have both uh and so you'll have the choice to, to fly out to tennessee uh, uh if you like or if you can't make it or don't want to make it you'll have the opportunity to 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 be a part of it but my my hope is that going forward because i've seen how accessible virtual events can make film and how democratic they can make the world of a festival that i feel like it's a thing that i i have to continue with 
uh, that it, it no longer feels like the wrong choice. It just feels like, you know, with the reality of the world, if this is the direction that things are going, I want to be a guy who's on the ground floor of figuring out how movies and the love of movies get to continue rather than a guy who's just being bummed that I can't go to the IMAX anymore, you know, and that, that doesn't mean that if the IMAX and, you know, movie theaters do die that I won't mourn their loss for the rest of my life. But I, I want to try to come up with, with a next solution because I, I think this community still exists. And if anything, right now we're hungrier than ever for, for great movies to be put in front of us. Well, fuck, you know, it took a, a great man in a uh, George Washington to found our country and pioneer <laughs> this brave new land. And Chris, I think, you know, from your history of digging trenches and cutting deals in the dirt, <laughs> It, it's you who will pioneer the brave new found footage. Or, oh, no, man. Footage. You could compare Film me to has. George Wa- Washington. <laughs> uh, you may, may want to close by likening my work to the Beatles uh, yeah. at this point. This set me up for massive failure. Uh, but well, man, uh, thank you. <laughs> honest and true are the, the things we're looking in a, for in a leader. And uh, hopefully we'll have another president like that one day. But for now, <laughs> one, I'm, day. Yeah. one day and... For now, I'm I'm happy that you're leading the way here. And uh, God, fuck, we may be following you there. I hey, man, I, I I'd love to have you. There's plenty of room in the minivan. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, please. Like, I I don't necessarily want to be a leader. I just want to be a person that 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 gets these conversations going and gets to be a part of these conversations. So it's like. You know, even if we're all just trading emails and, and talking about the stuff that we love, like that, that's why I'm in this. And it's clear that you guys are too. So like, and thank you again for everything. Chris, man, we love you, dude. <laughs> Likewise, Thanks, man. y'all take care. You too.